passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Welcome everybody. It is November fifth by the time you're listening to this wherever you are in the world and as far as i know we still do not officially have a president-elect yet uh you're gonna have to wait a bit longer you, you might you might even have to wait a bit longer for uh john pollock's reaction to it of course because uh john is not joining me tonight uh he has taken also a much deserved night off much like i did on monday uh and in his place somebody that John and I both really want to get on for one of these guest host spots eventually. He is somebody who has called in previously to our shows. He is somebody who is a former executive producer for Rwanda Away many times. Anytime we've had on, we really admire his knowledge and uh, his, his uh, ability to, to articulate his thoughts. So we definitely wanted to get him on to one of these editions of Rwanda Dynamite to share his thoughts on the current AEW product. And his name is Bruce Lord. Bruce, how are you doing, man? I'm doing lovely, and I'm doing especially lovely after that wonderful little intro here. I'm blushing over here in Vancouver right now, way. Vancouver, uh, how how are things currently uh, over there? I mean, you know, I mean, like everybody else, we've just spent the last, you know, 24 plus hours, you know, glued to websites, glued to the TV, hitting refresh uh, on all of your various electoral maps and everything like that. Uh, in addition, we're now kind of officially going through that... Uh, that kind of really major sort of second wave or second spike um, of new COVID cases that, you know, Ontario and Quebec were dealing with a little bit early and we were kind of sitting on our high horses for a couple of months about, but nope, we're, we're right back in the thick of it. So um, yeah, we're kind of up to high dough over here right now. 
we're not going to spend too much time on the election on, on this show. Uh, there are plenty of sources that I'm sure everybody has for all of that. But, um, you know, I'm just really curious, uh, Bruce, how did you spend your Tuesday and maybe even early part of Wednesday watching the coverage? Oh, yeah. I was up until uh, I think about 3.30 uh, local time here. So that would have been, I think, about half an hour after there was that big, dramatic Wisconsin swing um, that kind of looks theoretically as though it's maybe changed uh changed the shape of things uh but yeah no my i can tell you I, that I, I i have not expected to like talk about or think about wisconsin i don't know if i've ever thought about wisconsin this much like <laughs> in my entire life I, I i i i mean i have a few friends who live there but really it's like it's cheese the brewers <laughs> robin yount that's about all i know and um whatever that 70s show that's about all i could give Happy you right day. now i think it felt like you know, just a major sporting event, honestly. Um, except with like far more greater ramifications and uh, massive, massive consequences for everybody. Certainly not Americans. You know, I mean, you know, as, as Canadians, and I, you know, I, I, I don't exactly know what the demographics of the post listenership are in terms of a per country sort of basis, but you know, I always do find that you know Americans are, at least some, are still kind of somewhat shocked by the degree to which, uh, just out of necessity you know, Canadians end up being drawn into the orbit of these, you know, very intense, uh, very, uh, very tense and often very brutal and ugly uh, election cycles in the U.S. And it's a weird, you know, position that we're in, because on the one hand, we can sort of go, whew, glad that that's, you know, our election process doesn't go on for a whole year. But on the other hand, it's almost like we're sort of, you know, held as emotional hostages or something. We We have to care about it, but there's nothing we can do about it. You know, we can't affect it in any way. Well, like speaking as just somebody from Toronto, I mean, so much of I think our our culture is so tied to what we are, you know, uh, what we get from the U.S. Um, and I would extend, you know, so much of I think our uh, business, you know, yeah. is so tied to uh, our economy is so tied to what's what's uh, what's going on in the U.S. And just even, you know, in terms of, um, I don't know, just a sociopolitical level, I feel like we're always reflecting what is going on down there. So it's absolutely of interest to, I would say, people over here. Other parts of Canada, I can't really say. But nonetheless, uh, we await, maybe by the time people are listening to this in the morning, there will actually be a result. But for the time being, we're going to shelve the uh, election talk right there. And we're just going to get into uh, all the wrestling news from postwrestling.com. This is mainly courtesy of uh, Andrew Thompson and John Pollock's great work up there. The first thing we have right now is the raw rating from Monday night. 1.66 million viewers and a 0.48 in the prime demo of 18 to 49. This is the lowest of the Thunderdome era. Uh, the figures represented declines of 4.4% in viewers and 6% in the demo as the show finished ninth amongst all the cable programs. It was Raw's fourth lowest viewership figure of 2020 and its lowest demo rating since September the 7th. This show was most notable for a big collapse in hour three with a 17.7% drop from the first hour to the third. And uh, uh, beyond that, Raw's chief competition on Monday was a Monday night football game between the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the New York Giants that averaged 11.7 million viewers on ESPN. How much? How much of Raw are you watching, if at all? Absolutely none right now. This is this is what you know. You and you and John are are for in my book is you you watching it so I don't have to. Um, yeah, no. Personally, I have uh, I've just almost entirely checked out on uh, on main roster uh, WWE product for for the last few years. Um, 
you know, every now and again, you know, you'll, you'll hear something about, you know, for instance, uh, you know, your guys's discussion of the, you know, the Roman Reigns and Usos uh, storyline, which does sound like it's, oh, it's, it's actually sort of the compelling Roman Reigns uh, storyline that everybody had kind of been hoping for, uh, at least ever since the shield split there. Um, but, but really I'd find, you know, uh, f- for years there, I just kind of found, felt my, felt like I was sort of, you know, Charlie Brown chasing after the football, right? Oh, when this can't miss prospect gets called up, then surely we'll sort of see some transformation of the business or, oh yeah, definitely. We're going to see a shift over to the youth movement and this and this and that. And, and it never ends up really coming to pass. Uh, so especially once, uh, AEW got started uh, with just the whole, whole range of other options, uh, at least pre-COVID, that were available even in North America. You know, I, I've got more than enough on my table uh, to, to, to kind of keep me going uh, without keeping up with, with main roster WWE. And again, you know, you, you and John put out a product that is so much more uh, sensible, logical, and entertaining in discussing it and reviewing it the day after that I'm perfectly happy with that. Uh, I appreciate that because, like, I was able to kind of, like be in those shoes this past Monday, you know, not having to watch Raw, um, at least live on Monday, and just being able to listen to John and Nate after the fact. And it's mm-hmm. like, um, first of all, like, I felt just incredible freedom that <laughs> evening uh, that I, I hadn't felt in quite a while. Um, but nonetheless, like, I, I will say even, you know, I often get asked, like, if I don't, if I wasn't doing this show, would I continue to watch Raw? And I just found myself, you know, granted, this is just one week off, but I'm always like, it always feels like Monday. I'm curious at least, you know, to know what's going on, 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 on WWE television. So I think like, that's what I I continued to do on Monday. You know, I didn't sit down I wasn't taking notes. Uh, and I actually found the show far more enjoyable that way, mm. but like, I still find myself like curious and, and watching. So, um, you know, I, I, I imagine like many people go through perhaps that before just completely falling off, but I do wonder if many fans still exist that are just at least, you know, tuning in out of curiosity. Yeah, I mean, I think certainly with, uh, you know, the whole, you know, empty arenas, Thunderdome, like everything seems so kind of up in the air and chaotic in terms of format and presentation of professional wrestling just across the board for better or for worse that I think they're as you're sort of saying there, the curiosity factor, how the hell are they going to adjust to this? Or, oh, geez, you know, people were kind of uh, trolling and photobombing the, you know, the the, the videos on uh, on the Thunderdome uh, screens there. How are they going to react to that? Like that whole, this whole story of just navigating 2020, you know, becomes kind of a meta storyline of pro wrestling in and of itself right now. Let's get into some AEW news. Scorpio Sky, uh, AEW today announced that Scorpio Sky is, was off of tonight's episode. He was scheduled to be in a match against Sean Spears, of course. Uh, this comes as a precaution. The uh, through, AEW tweeted out earlier today through contact tracing, AEW has learned Scorpio Sky was exposed to someone with COVID-19 within the last 14 days. An initial test was negative, but AEW has decided to postpone tonight's scheduled match. So... Uh, just, just a precaution, it seems like. Um, so we'll probably get that match at a later time. Allison K is now officially a free agent after being signed to the NWA since spring of 2019 and announced today by AEW was her debut in AEW coming, uh, at, on this Sunday at, on the buy, sorry, this Saturday on the buy-in ahead of full gear. She will be challenging Serena Deeb for the NWA championship, the championship that she held, uh, for a better part of the past year. So 
uh, Allison K making her way into AEW. Any, any thoughts on uh, Allison K coming in? I mean, I really enjoyed uh, her run with the title. I was a big, big fan of Power when it was running. I mean, that was kind of my like. Again, if you're you know you're talking there about kind of being able to put your foot up and uh, your feet up and just sort of watch wrestling in a stress-free environment, Power was the ultimate. Just sort of, ah, uh, I can just relax for 45 minutes an hour, just throw YouTube on on a Tuesday night, and just kind of you know have this very throwback presentation given to me. So I really liked that, and I did like her run with it, uh, with the title, and then obviously you know. Uh, when uh, Thunder Rosa really caught fire, that became an interesting storyline in and of itself. I mean, it's kind of a bit of an odd thing that we have so much NWA crossover happening in AEW. I'm not necessarily opposed to it, um, but it kind of does... I don't know. It sort of puts AEW in an interesting position concerning all of the questions about their own women's division, which I have various thoughts about. Um, The fact that, you know, it's a a title match for, you know, a theoretically pretty prestigious title that is on the buy-in you know, maybe that's a bit, a bit less than ideal from kind of an optics perspective, uh, maybe as far as the NWA is concerned. But, you know, it does, it exposes more people, I think, to the fact that, um, you know, that the NWA is, or at least was, doing a lot of stuff and is trying to stay active, again, uh, you know, in the, in this kind of strange time, doing work with uh, with AEW, uh, doing work with um, uh, Championship Wrestling from Hollywood and the the primetime live shows and things like that. Um, so yeah, I mean, if if she is in fact a free agent, you know, I think AEW is in a position where you know there's still a lot of room to sign, um, you know, pretty pretty veteran able women's talent. So yeah, uh, in- interesting days ahead, I think, uh, as far as the NWA women's title goes. It continues like what what appears on the surface to be somewhat of a mass exodus of like talents as from the NWA as their contracts are running out, yeah. um, which is kind of unfortunate for that brand and and really it makes you wonder like what the future plans are for it if, if power ever will come back if if you know any any original programming uh, outside of what they're doing uh, with the with the IP, uh, the pay per views individually. Um, if if anything's going to happen, but uh, you know their loss is certainly like AEW's gain, and you know we don't know if Alton K will will be signed full time yet. I mean, I I look very much to this very much like a tryout, like they've had for many of the other uh, people coming in in the past. But I have no doubt Alton K will will be a tremendous fit for that division. Um, it's a division that sorely needs, I think, veterans like her who can speak and have personality, and she certainly has that. So. I, I look forward to seeing her. I, I'm sure putting, uh, you know, f- forth her her very best effort uh, on Saturday. Yeah, definitely, definitely. <laughs> also on the AEW front, <laughs> excuse me. Uh, Anthony Bowens and Max Caster have both signed with AEW. Tony Khan revealed this to PW Insider earlier in the week that AEW has signed the two prospects who will now be known as a tag team called the Acclaimed. PW Insider also adds that WWE had interest in Bowen in particular for their NXT brand. So, uh, you know, that's a like, you know, just even speaking about Allison K, like it's something that will you assume that, oh, maybe maybe she'll be a part of uh, AEW's roster. Um, really kind of uh, forgetting that there still happens to be, I guess, um, these sort of, um, you know, this competition for uh, talent right now between mm-hmm. Uh, several brands, but you know, chiefly, I guess here AEW and WWE. So we shall see. Um, well, at least we know these two are signed, but we shall see uh, what happens with several others. Heel by Nature reports that WWE has surrendered their registration trademark for Cody Rhodes on November second. WWE filed a cancellation notice with the United States Patent and Trademark Office, surrendering surrendering the Cody Rhodes trademark. Heel by Nature dot com has also confirmed that the cancellation was finalized Wednesday. 
with the trademark office. Cody had attempted to secure rights with the expired trademark earlier this year following its expiration. However, WWE's subsequent renewal caused complications, and it is unknown right now what led to WWE's abandoning of the trademark, but um, uh, it has to be a really good sign for Cody finally obtaining it. Yeah, I mean, he's, you know, kind of... Obviously, he's made a real public... um, demonstration of sort of, you know, well, you know, that's, you know, whatever, I don't need that name in order to, uh, you know, to present myself as a superstar. And, you know, uh, and I think he's done a very admirable job of doing that. But yeah, I mean, when I mean, there was a lot of I I think there was a lot of, you know, kind of telephone back and forth as to whether or not he could or could not use the game. And, you know, that kind of got a, a little bit obfuscated there. But certainly the fact that, you know, it looked from the outside as though the WWE was holding on to that you know, just to spite someone when it has obviously such a clear connection to his family, to his father and the, you know, the, his, his father's very complex history with the WWE. It it did look, you know, kind of paint them in a bit of a petty light there. So yeah, if, if for whatever reason, they just don't see any value in, in doing that uh, anymore. Sure. Fine. You know, I mean, again, you know, Cody has shown that he doesn't need roads where he's going uh, as the, as the intro song goes, but you know, couldn't help to have some alternate routes, I suppose. ACH set to return to MLW and Leo Rush is also set to debut. Both are scheduled to appear in MLW's return show called The Restart, which takes place Wednesday, November 18th on Fubo Sports and the MLW YouTube channel. This this taped event will be MLW's first event since March. So uh, we look forward to all that. And our final story, uh, you know, we said we wouldn't talk about politics very much, but I, I'm going to um, make an exception here. Tito Ortiz, former UFC light heavyweight champion and Hall of Famer, has won a seat in the city council in Huntington Beach, California. The 45-year-old man ran on a heavy conservative platform linking himself to President Donald Trump, with Ortiz often spreading erroneous conspiracy theories throughout his campaign. The city council had three seats up for grabs, with Ortiz topping all other candidates with 14.3% of the vote. That equaled 34,901 votes. Well... Yeah, really. I mean, you know, I, I'm, I'm not a big MMA person. The only thing I know about Tito Ortiz is just his, his rep as kind of a, you know, controversial trash talker and everything like that. And as much as, you know, I'm sure way, you know, like you and John are sick to death of all of these articles sort of talking about, oh, did you know that Donald Trump has a background in pro wrestling? And, you know, here's how he's maybe applied some of those lessons to entering into politics. You know, I mean, he's he's shown that that sort of formula can work. Uh, and whatever that says about the world, uh, I don't know. But it's not it's it's maybe disappointing, but you can't really say it's surprising at this point. So for the latest in combat sports news and headlines, postwrestling.com, Andrew Thompson and John Pollock, always hard at work. On that website. Uh, looking at our schedule coming up, John and I will reunite on Friday for Rwanda Smackdown as, uh, uh, exclusively for Post Wrestling Cafe patrons. So, uh, will we have an election result by then? Who knows? But we look forward to not just talking to each other, but talking to all of you. That show is live, as always, for patrons on Zoom. So, if you sign up to the Post Wrestling Cafe, you get a Zoom link Friday afternoon, and you can join us live for that one. Saturday, 
We've got a lot to cover here because it's New Japan Pro Wrestling's Power Struggle show. John will be handling that show with WH Park. That'll be another exclusive for all cafe members. It'll be Tetsuya Naito versus Evil. And if that matches anything like their previous two, you can expect a hell of a podcast from John Pollock and WH Park. <laughs> um, any, I know you're a New Japan fan, uh, uh, Bruce. Any expectations for that? I mean, for Naito and Evil, no. Like, I mean, at this point, the expectations are so, so, so reduced. I don't know if you saw that um, that post-match uh, presser in which Naito actually apologized for the fact that the match was going to be happening again. So, I mean, <laughs> yeah. they have to, or at least some of the wrestlers, obviously know that a goodly portion of their fan base is really pretty burnt out uh, on on the dynamic that just keeps being that they just keep going to the well with here especially after, like, so close after the G1 when we just saw the generic boilerplate evil Dick Togo match so many times. Um, you know, thankfully, there's a lot of stuff on the undercard that is, uh, you know, uh, that is exciting. I think, you know, Ibushi White um, is going to be great. Uh, I always have time for uh, Suzuki and Shingo mixing it mm-hmm. up. I mean, I really enjoyed their match at uh, King of Pro Wrestling. So, you know, th- those two things, uh, you know, kind of Can- really... Uh, propping up for me there and the rest of it looks good too yeah we got kenta tanahashi uh for for the briefcase and the, for the u.s title briefcase and i believe we also have uh what is it zack saber jr versus toriano for a king of pro wrestling um uh, in a king of pro wrestling match so yeah no corner pads if i'm remembering correctly no corner pads damn that's that should be the headliner but uh yeah the uh, D- uh wh and john will have a review uh for all cafe patrons on saturday afternoon uh, and on, in the evening, it's AEW Full Gear. I will be joined by the BDE for our Full Gear post show, and we're gonna we're gonna do something very special. You know, forget um, forget the Raw Nitro simulcast. For, forget uh, you know Impact and and Raw from January fourth, twenty ten, going head to head. I will be doing the BD. Uh, I will be on the BDE's YouTube channel. We will be live streaming AEW Full Gear. Uh, that post show at youtube.com slash up next and the audio as usual will be available afterwards on the post wrestling feed so there are multiple ways to catch us but if you want to watch the show uh, post show live right after full gear you can join us at youtube.com slash up next that'll be free and available to everybody join the chat room because the chat room is always fire <laughs> we move on now we have as always uh, on wednesdays here bruce I know you're a very uh, happy patron of the Post Wrestling Cafe, and I don't think you've ever won one of these, but you have a chance to give out a t-shirt right now to a very lucky patron of the Post Wrestling Cafe. Can you you pick a number between 1 and 1912? 1 and 1912. Um, Any number. 242. 242. Any significance to that? There is actually, there is, there's a musical significance to that, which I'll maybe mention uh, at at the end when I'm doing my plugs there. (laughs) Oh, okay. Okay. Look forward to that. Well, congratulations, uh, two, four, two. You are Jamie Harrison from Barnes, Barn, Yorkshire, Barnsley, Yorkshire, Great Britain. There's uh, like, I get confused with, with all these like, um, uh, English, English names. 
English counties, names. you have shires, and then half the time it's just the name of an estate rather than a street address. Yeah, <laughs> I have a lot of British relatives, and it's it's very confusing. So Jamie Harrison of Barnsley, Yorkshire, congratulations! You won a T-shirt courtesy of Bruce Lord and the Post Wrestling Cafe. So I will be messaging you there as always. Uh, postwrestlingcafe.com. That's where you go to support everything that we do here at Post Wrestling, uh, as well as earn yourself some. A bonus podcast and maybe even a chance at a free t-shirt once a week. So there we go. Let's head over now to AEW Dynamite. This is the go-home show ahead of full gear. Uh, Bruce, you watch uh, AEW uh, every single week. What what sort of are your, um, what's your excitement level at least heading, you know, uh, several days out from full gear? I mean, it's pretty sharp, you know. Um, there were a few things that I was looking for heading into this episode in particular. I kind of jotted some thoughts down specifically looking at this, uh, you know, as a go home show. I think that some of, uh, you know, maybe about half of the, the full gear card was looking in really, really good shape, uh, heading into this show. You know, I think, um, definitely the, uh, the, the, the Kingston Moxley feud. I mean, that's just been kind of, you know, kind of lightning in a bottle in terms of just, latching on to the, the chemistry and the history that those two had and what was, you know, a fill-in match when, you know, when Archer was out for a week there, you know, now seems, I think, our, like the hottest card uh, match on the whole card. Uh, and I've also been really impressed with the kind of the slow build uh, of the of the Kenny Omega and uh, Adam Page feud. Um, but I was, you know, kind of keeping an eye out for um, how they were going to deal with the Cody and Darby match because uh, there really hadn't been much with that. Uh, heading into that, I was curious to see how the whole uh, MJF, Wardlow, Jericho inner circle uh, dynamic was going to progress. And, uh, you know, I was just kind of curious as to how this uh, this whole Miro best friends thing uh, was going to be progressing, cut off, or, or whatever it might be. So kind of good, mixed to good uh, heading in there, but they had some work to do, I thought, going into this show. For me, like... Um... On paper, like I thought this was already a really strong card the moment they announced it last week and all these matches were put in together and it just felt like one after the other was something I was really looking forward to, you know, between like, like them announcing, I mean, FTR and the Bucks alone, I think would have been a headliner, but then they also announced Page versus Omega, um, you know, John Moxley versus Eddie Kingston, which is a match that I didn't really see like stepping up at, at, to this level being this hot. Uh, and then, you know, the promise of what, 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 what is expected to be sort of a, a final deletion type of match between Matt Hardy and, and Sammy Guevara. All of these things pique my interest, but you're absolutely right. Like the build for some of these matches can, is it, something to, to leave something to be desired. So we shall see how they do in this uh, episode of Dynamite. And we start off, Dasha is in the back with Jericho, Jake Hager, and Santana. These are the three inner circle members who are not competing tonight, but Jericho nonetheless is going to be, to be doing commentary. So Dasha talks to her, talks to all three of them. Jericho puts over Jake Hager for beating his opponent in Bellator this past week, saying he's 3-0, he's undefeated, uh, did not mention the particulars of the fight, uh, which I believe uh, John mentioned he was, was a very much closer uh, decision than uh, I think we uh, probably expected. It was a split decision, I believe, wasn't it, that John said? I believe so, yes. So uh, no mention of that, but nonetheless, he is a 3-0, he is undefeated in Jericho's eyes, and he puts him over as just this badass. Uh, MJF and Wardlow interrupt. MJF is glad that Jericho is going to be on commentary tonight because it means he's going to get a front row seat for his match. Jericho says that there's something missing from MJF. He looks at Jake Hager and his two black eyes, calls him a badass, looks at Santana and says, this guy's crazy. 
and says MJF is missing that killer instinct he looks for in his inner circle members. And in fact, he calls him a little soft. MJF <laughs> says, soft? Just watch. How do you like uh, Chris Jericho on commentary? I, I, I'm i a big fan of Jericho on commentary. I know that some people have said like that you know he's just a little bit extra in his presentation and i can see that but i think he does a really good job of you know kind of doing what i think we all agree commentary should do which is work to communicate you know the stories that are being told in the ring and working to communicate uh, the seriousness, the authenticity, uh, the dangerousness, whatever it is uh, of the folks that he's um uh that th- whose matches he's calling, right? Like yeah, there's the odd little bit here and there, you know, just dunking on Shivani and, you know, kind of a little bit of, you know, kind of inside baseball with Excalibur from time to time. But on the whole, the kind of the that that intensity is generally directed towards the in-ring product. Uh and and I think, you know, that that's a real boon for them. I've been really interested uh, as a tangent here about how uh, AEW has been using Dark as an opportunity to sort of like test out and give uh, some of the talent reps behind the desk, uh, you know, uh, Starks in in particular there. Um, so yeah, I, I think the fact that they've been willing to be flexible with, with, with who's uh, behind the desk there, you know, has served them well. And certainly when you got a talker like Jericho, uh, it, it hits more than it misses. It, it Like they've really kind of like allowed Jericho I mean, AEW has been such a playground for him to be able to just be completely creatively fulfilled in so many ways. But, you know, these are ways that you can get value out of Chris Jericho outside of him having to take bumps in the ring every single week. And just simply having him on commentary throughout a show, um, they built that into, I would say, it's not going to be a big draw. Like people aren't necessarily tuning in on a Wednesday just to hear Chris Jericho on commentary. But I think it's a really like it's an attraction that they can advertise. You know? Oh yeah, and it, and it does. You know, it 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 it's you know it gives you an opportunity to have the whole like Judas pop at the beginning of the episode and everything like that, and kind of you know it's it's an extra little bit of kind of hype to start the beginning uh, of the show. You know, the way that like you know if it, when Jr. was kind of a special guest on you know calling the Undertaker matches or whatever, and you get the Boomer Sooner music and everything, and you get a little bit of you know kind of uh, extra weight or intensity uh, to the commentary presentation there. So yeah. So we get our first match. It's Sammy Guevara and Ortiz taking on MJF and Wardlow. And the story, of course, here is that Sammy and Ortiz are the two members of the inner circle who really don't want MJF in there. So MJF and Wardlow spend the first portion of this match working entirely over Ortiz. Uh, We get a hot tag to Sammy as he delivers a number of dives. I found, and I'm I'm sure, you know, this was completely the intent, but Sammy Guevara was working as a total babyface here in this heel versus heel match uh, to the the point where, like, the crowd is cheering pretty loudly for for Guevara. So that was certainly a takeaway. MJF comes off the ropes with a stomp into Ortiz's arm as he continues working over Ortiz's arm as he sets up that Fujiwara armbar. Tower of Doom spot with Wardlow that ends up powerbombing all three off of the top rope. Wardlow delivers an F10 to Ortiz, but Sammy breaks it up with a big splash. Sammy continues delivering like just, you know, very babyface friendly, spectacular offense, hitting a springboard 450 onto MJF on the floor. He poses outside of the ring and he gives the finger to a guy in a Serpentico mask. And who we thought was Serpentico actually ends up being Matt Hardy, who throws a chair at Sammy Guevara, taking him out for the rest of the match. Back in the ring, MJF applies the salt of the earth Fujiwara armbar to Ortiz, making him tap for the win. What do you think of the match, Bruce? I thought the match was pretty decent. You know, I, I exactly agree with you that, you know, 
given that you know the the whole thrust of this this program has been you know MJF as the snake in the grass you know as you know the the person who's even like sleazier and skeezier than Jericho is you know and that Jericho is the kind of the de facto babyface there you know with with Sammy standing in in opposition to MJF and not only in terms of character but in terms of work right like you know MJF is working this completely bone dry slow you know just you know neck and arm hold uh style there and then you know I mean I don't know if you noticed like the real like yay boo yay boo when he and Wardlow were circling uh cycling in and out there right like the crowd was hot for Wardlow mm. as well. So you kind of had this weird dynamic in which like you had two baby faces and at least one heel. And I don't know how Ortiz fits into this dynamic across the ring um, from one another. Then when you factor in the whole Matt Hardy thing, I mean, that was sort of something that I noticed kind of set the tone for the whole rest of the show in that just about every match involved not just you know the 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 feud that was in play there but because there would be second parties uh involved then you'd have somebody else who has beef with them running in so it was this constant attempt to keep kind of all of the plates spinning uh and kind of reminding you that each of these people have stories with multiple people uh you know that sammy fine you know has this this current uh distrust of mjf but he also has hardy uh, to deal with in the in the short term there uh as well um yeah, I mean, once again, you know, great, great showcase for Sammy. And I think Wardlow's power spots came across really well as as well. I thought it was a really fun and entertaining opener. And um, you're right. Like this show was absolutely a go home show in that every segment seemed to remind you of like the match that was coming up on Saturday for these guys. But what I found like, you know, again, very most notable about this match was how hard Sammy was working as a baby face. Yeah. It was to me like such a drastic change that I thought it was almost a form of misdirection to make you think that the guy might be turning and he might be leaving the inner circle because I feel like they could have done this match like without Sammy having to do all the four fifties and all the crazy dives and playing to the crowd. Like you didn't need, you you certainly there's an argument to be made that somebody had to be a baby face in this heel versus heel match, but I think they went even more over the top with Sammy. And I, I can't think that that was just, you know, um, just just something that they did for this particular match so it's it's a tease i think they'll continue uh beyond this pay-per-view coming up and i definitely feel like sammy and mjf is is a feud that probably is just starting yeah a lot of moving parts in the whole you know mjf and inner circle business so keen to see where it goes after the match mjf walks up the ramp and charges jericho at the announce desk sending him through a backdrop and jericho emerges with a smile on his face, presumably in approval of his opponent's proven mean streak. Yeah, you can you know that Jericho was watching all of those Suzuki matches, the, uh, the Suzuki Ibushi match in particular. There, right, not even caring if you get beat up, just but just wanting to see uh, that fire in the eyes of your opponent. There, S- smiling after like you've been attacked is definitely the sign of like some some sort of like I don't know um, psychosis that that makes you <laughs> really scared of the guy. Uh, we go backstage to a pre-tape segment with actually not even backstage. We go to somebody's house as Tony Schiavone sits down with Kenny Omega. Kenny admits that this is not his home. He is simply relocated to Jacksonville because he's here to focus on this tournament. Kenny asks about, uh, Kenny is asked by Tony about opponents switching on him at last minute in this tournament. Of course he had Joey Janela, uh, change up on him. And then he had Ray Phoenix change up on him last minute. He says with AEW being touted as such a sports-based product, 
He could have easily went to Tony Khan to ask for a buy throughout the rounds, but he didn't. He says he's expected to he expected to face Wardlow in the finals, but it turns out it's it's his former partner Hangman Page. Kenny, continuing in a very cocky tone, says, uh, "Ask Tony Schiavone who he would pick as the favorite to win this tournament, given his tournament experience." And so, Tony Schiavone reluctantly says, "Kenny." And Kenny says he's destined to be the next AEW champion. So Kenny Omega continuing a very uh, cocky, as uh, you know, as his fans might say, cleaner personality in this um, uh, uh, segment. Yeah, I mean, I'm really, really here for that. Uh, I really like this smarmy, passive-aggressive direction that he's going in. I mean, that that match with Sonny Kiss and just everything about the presentation, you know, him hyping the crowd up and then just, you know, being such a prick to Sonny afterwards uh, was just wonderful. Um, I mean, I'll, I'll say this. I think my, my musical tastes probably overlap uh, with 1WH Parks pretty closely, but in terms of Kenny Omega... I'm the exact opposite. I love Cleaner Omega. Full stop. Uh, no complaints. Cleaner 2.0, rinse, repeat. I'm totally here for it. Can you tell me, like, I mean, this type of, like, heel persona, it's to, like, it, 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 is it to make you think that the guy is going heel, or is it strictly, like, that type of badass heel meant to, sorry, that badass baby face meant to appeal to fans? No, I think it's I think it's meant to be a, a pretty straight up heel uh, persona that is tapping into um, you know this kind of the larger meta story that that, that we've been seeing you know on uh, on being the elite uh, and, and whatnot right in that uh, you have Kenny being sick of being reminded of oh well you know you haven't really had a match quite as good as your Okada matches and everything like that you know, being irritated by being reminded of, you know, the former glories uh, and, and possible dream matches, you know, that he gave up to, you know, that he sacrificed to come to to help form AEW with. And so now you have him being willing to sort of, you know, maybe possibly leave his friends in the dust, uh, you know, in order to actually uh, regain that intensity, that kind of, you know, borderline crazy eyes psycho intensity that he had as the cleaner and regained the prestige that he had uh internationally a couple of years ago so i think that's that's the kind of the the, the story underlying this kind of uh readjusted or, or revamped uh heel kenny our next match is miro take it on trent it is miro's first singles match in AEW, and if i have to remind everybody this is a feud over a video game cabinet <sighs> They show a clip from Excalibur's podcast where Trent taunted Miro for being... Well, I say this is a feud over a video game cabinet, but they do also have uh, a bit more meat to, to the story here. Because, yes, uh, a clip from Excalibur's podcast where, where Trent taunts Miro for being a young boy while they were both in FCW. So throwing a bit of real-life history ahead of this match, and in my opinion, uh, something that grabbed... Uh, you know, I, I'm able to maybe get into a little bit more than uh, a, a destruction of a video game. That five seconds of a YouTube video, a Skype, a Zoom meeting, or whatever it was, I didn't see the full context. I only just saw that five-second clip. That five-second clip did more to make me care about Miro and AEW than literally anything, the, the, the sum total of everything that he has done since arriving here, right? Like, oh, yeah. you know, he's he has history with this guy, and he feels that he was disrespected when he was younger, and now that he's this giant, destructive Beast, who's a big free agent signing? Yeah, he's going to get some payback uh, on anybody that you know feels uh, kind of stepped on him on his way up. 
I, I care so much more about that than 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 trying to shoehorn in this this just absolutely ridiculous video game gimmick. And I I th- I think like we've seen like AEW really like philosophically it differs from um I think what how WWE tends to treat perhaps like the the history between their their um their characters where AEW will really go out of their way to mention like things like FCW in order to help you suspend your disbelief to know that exactly what they're talking about is genuine and is true. Um, You know, like the stuff that's that's going on with Eddie Kingston and John Moxley. I, I have that much more, I think um, tendency to, to believe that John Moxley actually sat down at the same table as Eddie Kingston's mother to make a promise like that, because I think historically they have shown like that much more faithfulness to authenticity. Whereas WWE will allude to history between their their uh their characters, like for instance Drew McIntyre and Keith Lee, but without stating exactly like where these two would have been together, like because I guess they don't think Evolve is big enough to mention or any other promotion is worth big enough to mention, it it feels more made up to me, you know, even though it very well isn't. So I yeah, I and, continue and, and, to admire and, that. They've and they've shown such a tendency, like especially with Excalibur behind a desk, right? You have an encyclopedia of all of these, you know, indie and Japanese promotions where these guys may or may not have mixed it up, uh, you know, in the past. Him reminding you that, oh yeah, Kenny Omega and Chuck Taylor used to be a tag team. All of that is right there for you to pick up on uh, if, if you want to do it. And and not to you know get ahead of, ahead of ourselves in terms of the Kingston and Moxley thing, but at least like that's a feud where. I understand that it's personal, but it is also very clearly connected to the championship, right? Wanting to sort of accomplish great things, uh, you know, in AEW and make something uh, of yourself. Like, I don't, I mean, a lot's been said about the Miro thing. I don't have a problem with, you know, uh, with wrestlers wanting to integrate aspects of their own lives, their own personality, their own hobbies uh, into their, their on-screen presentation. Like when, when that's done well, you know, uh, you know, kind of ca- calling back to these moments of authenticity that we're talking about here, or when it's something like, you know, Darby and skateboarding, right? It's like, okay, that, that gives, that gives me a sense of who, who this person is, but Darby Allen isn't fighting Cody because I don't know, Cody like set fire to his half pipe or something <laughs> like that. Right. Like I understand there's a larger hit- principle at stake skateboarding isn't his defining trade it is just an accessory to yeah. whatever the character is he's not you know darby allen pro skater like he's just the guy who happens to come down on to yeah. the ramp with the skateboard and always has a skateboard with him miro is being positioned because this is all we know about him he is a twitch streamer he is a guy who loves video games and gets so obsessed with video games that you know the dest- destruction of this really nerdy like hardcore limited edition gaming controller is enough to warrant this this rivalry and i really hope that this clip that they showed from the the podcast is them kind of coming to their senses with with miro and realizing that this video game by itself this stuff is not really enough yeah i think that and again not to not to get ahead of you here but i think that in the actual in-ring presentation of miro did signal a little bit that that we're starting to change direction so we go to the match, and uh, much of this match is really just Trent trying to beat this monster that they've uh, now introduced in Miro. Miro, I felt, was much more wrestling like, you know, his uh, 
Bulgarian brute character rather than perhaps even his like Rusev Day character towards the end of his run. Just this like dominant monster. He stops a Trent Tornado DDT early on with a belly to back suplex. Just continues to control him with his slower paced brawling offense. Uh, on the floor, we have Chuck driving Kip, uh, driving Kip Sabian out of the arena. Trent again goes for that Tornado DDT, but this time Miro tosses him even further, which sends us to commercial. During the picture in picture, we have Penelope Ford on the floor. Uh, slapping Orange Cassidy's glasses off. So Orange Cassidy steals Penelope's glasses. He's about to put his hands in his pockets, but out from the back come the Dark Order to attack him from behind. And this includes John Silver, who had a a big role on tonight's episode. He, of course, is facing uh, Orange Cassidy in a match that has now been upgraded from uh, the buy-in to the main card as a result of uh, the addition of the uh, women's uh, NWA championship match. So John Silver here was delivering a big knee to Orange Cassidy, and uh, he is ultimately chased to the back from by Miro as well. Back from the break, Trent continues to struggle against Miro. Uh, Trent, again, for the third time, goes for that Tornado DDT and finally hits it, lands his running knee, gets two. Trent goes for a springboard but slips and falls off as Rusev capitalizes on the slip-up with a big kick and then game over, which is his accolade for the submission fit victory. Uh, before we talk about talking about the match, what did you think about the the supposed botch? Do you think it was intentional or do you think it was a real botch? I, I mean, I, I didn't, you know, I was watching uh, live on the TSN website there, so I didn't have a chance to, to click back and rewind it, and I wasn't sure uh, what, what Twitter was saying there. It looked accidental to me, and if that's the case, I think they did a wonderful job uh, of recovering, and, uh, you know, as opposed to that kind of botched game over from a couple of weeks ago, uh, I thought Miro did a really good job uh, of using that to, to lead into the finish there. If that was intentional, then bully for Trent because because that that, that looked really good. I, it seemed intentional to me, and I mean number one because it played so perfectly into the finish, and it just makes sense in terms of story. You know, a guy goes for a high risk move, uh, slips and falls, and ends up costing him the victory. In a way, it kind of protects Trent, even though it yeah. kind of makes him look stupid. But um, I, I it seemed intentional to me. But I, I mean, you know, these are professionals, of course, so I wouldn't be surprised to hear uh, to hear it the other way around. What do you think of the match? I thought it was overall pretty decent, you know, I mean, I think finally we got, you know, I mean, even just down to the the gear that he was wearing, uh, you know, Miro finally seemed like the absolutely, you know, gigantic, overly muscled, destructive force that you would, you would hope that he would have been uh, positioned as right from the get-go, right? I mean, I know we keep harping on about this, but what was it, in April when uh, when, when, there were, when there was the wave of releases there? And, you know, and, and people were talking about, like, oh, my God, him as, him as a surprise entrant in the G1 if he could, you know, if he could clear quarantine and everything like that. You know, I mean, the, the look is something that, if presented correctly, I think really gets over by itself. Uh, and, you know, if, if we're kind of being honest with ourselves, the fact that the, you know, the average size of, of performers, there are exceptions, of course, but, you know, AEW doesn't favor absolutely gigantic swole guys quite as much as the WWE does. So, you know, Miro's going to look very, very impressive uh, in comparison to a lot of the AEW roster. And I think that that's, you know, that's more or less what this match did. It maybe went, I mean, if that's the purpose of it, is to sort of reestablish him uh, as as a real beast, it maybe went a little bit long, and Trent maybe got a little bit much, but, you know, I mean, he spent a lot of that bumping, and as you're saying, kind of going for these high-risk maneuvers that didn't always pay off, so maybe comes out in the wash. 
I, I definitely enjoyed seeing Nero being booked like a big man again. As you mentioned, you know, he's got a huge size advantage over many of the ro- uh, much of the roster in AEW. And I think it's especially important to book him that way. Um, and here he looked incredibly dom- dominant. He should have been booked this way from the start. His character, I think, should have much more reflected, you know, somebody like this rather than somebody who streams on Twitch. You know, of course, you could be you could look however you look and stream on Twitch. But I mean first and foremost like you want to push this guy as a monster and i thought trent also worked really well here as the underdog babyface against a giant so uh i enjoyed the match not necessarily one i would even like say you have to go back and rewatch. but if you want to get a sense of maybe how miro is being treated and if you want if you're a big fan of trent and want to see a good trent match you might want to check this out yeah after the match, they all brawl outside, but here comes Orange Cassidy delivering an orange drop to both Miro and Sabian. And this feud between Miro and Sabian and the best friends seems to continue uh, now along with Orange Cassidy. They kept cutting cameras back and forth between Orange Cassidy and Miro, so perhaps you could expect that as those two as future opponents. I'm I, I, sure. I mean, you know, that I, I, as long as it doesn't involve video games, uh, I'm fine with it. <laughs> Jim Ross is with Adam Page, Hangman Page here, uh, in, in another sit-down interview from the from pre-recorded. Uh, Hangman Page is holding a cocktail. He's sprawled out on the couch. JR asks how them being he and Kenny being former tag partners will play into his strategy on Saturday. Page says he knows all of Kenny's moves and knows how to reverse them. And JR, I feel like JR like, is one of the few interviewers uh, who can get away with this, but... He calls Hangman Page out on his bullshitting. He says Page is nervous, and that's why he's on his third or fourth whiskey today. And Hangman admits that he is. He says Saturday will be the closest he's been to the AEW title since challenging for it against Chris Jericho over a year ago, and that if he loses, he doesn't know what he'll do. So uh, Page continuing to play, I guess, you know, his very kind of unsure, unconfident self. How do you think he did here in this segment? Yeah, the the anxious millennial cowboy, as the as the T-shirt says there. Um, I have really enjoyed the way that that um, that condition or that sort of that mentality is something that Page has been conveying a little bit more subtly than it was in this segment. You know, whether that's been on BTE or you know in the little dark segments uh, or or on Dynamite uh, itself. You know, I think I think you're right that Jr. was the right person and maybe the only person to be able to kind of make the subtext text and sort of, you know, Mm -hmm. sort of say you're drinking because you're anxious and you're nervous uh, about who you are uh, and the fear of, you know, losing, losing to Kenny here. Um, This is a touchy thing because I know, and I understand why a lot of people don't like it when um, issues, uh, when, when angles involving substance abuse get used uh, in pro wrestling and, to be frank, uh, it, there's not a good track record um, with, with those. But I do feel like this is a slightly more realistic and not quite as insulting or demeaning characterization of alcohol abuse uh, than we have seen in the past. Um, g- giving, yeah. giving a psychological reason as to why someone might resort to problem drinking rather than just, he's a drunk, you know, that's a that's a fine line to walk, but I think they're doing it here. I, have they actually portrayed him as like a drunk, like a real like sloppy drunk who just like doesn't know what he's doing? Have they done that? 
not not in the ring certainly not in the ring and i think that's kind of the like he's he's kind of like he's he's looked like he's had a couple of beers when he's come out to give somebody an assist a couple of right. times right and that's i think you can get away with that i do not and certainly not definitely not this saturday and i I imagine they they wouldn't be so foolish as to do this. I do not ever want to see. Oh no, he's you know messed up and he shouldn't be in the ring under the influence. Uh, and that's not just because of you know again the the, the, the crappy track record of, of you know the the the, the Hawk storyline, the Scott Hall storyline, uh, but also because of to be frank the very uh, un- unfortunate history of that being an actual real thing, right? Of people actually being under the influence and getting into a ring and working when they shouldn't. Uh, So I think as long as they don't kind of cross that particular line or touch that third rail there, I think using this sort of, here is a way in which a person is dealing with career stress, personal stress, uh, in, in a way that isn't helpful and isn't constructive. Like, I feel that's, that's, that's a, that that's a that's a more responsible form of storytelling than we generally get when you know kind of booze enters the the pro wrestling picture. I, I I would definitely like agree with that, but I feel like for the most part he's just kind of been portrayed as a guy like not with any sort of like you know issues with I think substance abuse, but more so just the guy who really likes to drink, like. <laughs> Like you know, like Julian from Trailer Park Boys. You just oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the, the Bucks him. did call him out on a. There was a couple of like pretty serious BTE segments where like the Bucks called him out on it, like slapped some drinks out of his hand and everything like that because he didn't. Right. You know, I, 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 oh yeah, that was after that, that was after kind of he turned on them and and, and pulled them out of the ring uh, in in the FTR match. They were sort of you know blaming that on alcohol. I, I think behind the scenes there. But I would say like this particular segment was like, I, you know, at least in, in, in my recent recollection, like one of the ones where JR strictly points out, hey, you're drinking a lot for a reason. And and Paige kind of played that up. So it's it's interesting. It's interesting. I can't really say like this program between Kenny and Paige has been like it's a match that I'm excited about on paper. I'm excited about in ring. But like as far as like the story goes, it, they've had a long time with it, but it's not at a level of, say, for instance, you know. MJF and Chris Jericho or like John Moxley and Eddie Kingston. And I just don't know like what it is about it. Maybe it's just like the maybe sort of like the characters being too subtle, maybe a little too inconsistent and, and undefined for me. Yeah. Uh, but that might work for a lot of other people. Maybe that subtle subtlety is what they want. It's weird. It's working for me in this case. It's not working for me in the case of the Bucks, right? And it's and it's one of these ones where you sort of have to take the whole weird, strange kind of, you know, multiverse you know, cosmos uh, of everything that's been happening on BTE going back, you know, a couple of years uh, in some cases here to sort of get the full picture. And yeah, people are going to have different mileage with that, depending on the degree to which, uh, you know, BTE is a priority for them uh, or the degree to which they feel that the the motivations are being communicated uh, clearly on Dynamite. Speaking of the Bucks, we have a Bucks versus FTR video package. This really built up to me the the dream match aspect of the feud. And we have uh, Excalibur speaking here, talking about how the Bucks were considered the best tag team in the world until FTR came along. We have Daniels and Kaz saying they are the two best tag teams that they've ever faced. We have also uh, speaking roles from Arn Anderson, Billy Gunn, Taz, Tully Blanchard, and Matt Hardy, all giving in, uh, chiming in with their predictions. And uh, the Bucks also restate the stipulation here that if they lose this match, they will never challenge for the belt again. What did you think of the video? Um, in principle, I liked it. I do wish that it was something that had maybe, uh, that this was a direction that they had gone in 
earlier, you know, because I feel as though, you know, they're sort of kind of, you know, checking the wind, which way the wind's blowing with this and sort of saying, okay, we kind of have to get back to basics and just turn this into, you know, the match that people were talking about on the internet before AEW even existed, right? When, you know, when it was just a twinkle in everybody's eye and we had, you know, however many months of just, you know, FTR drops and everything like that uh, on BTE there. Um, yeah, so, I mean, I think the 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 thinking here and the the purpose of this segment is good in that it's you know it's it's a dream match and it's a styles clash as well right you know the young flippy doo indie guys which of course we know isn't really accurate uh versus you know the you know the, the modern day you know double a uh you know tully types and everything so um you know i i think in in principle it's a good adjustment to make but the question is whether it's you know too little too late Team Taz comes out. Taz, uh, just quickly as he walks out, reminds Will Hobbs of his deadline to join the group. Um, I don't know how long this deadline is. I thought it was like <laughs> last week, but I guess it just, you know, he's going he on advanced. on dark forever. Yeah. He, he's allowed extensions. Taz says he's not here to talk about Will Hobbs. He says he is here to talk about having to wait three hours to talk to Tony Khan before he was told to leave because Tony Khan was too busy dealing with matches for the pay-per-view. So Taz brings up the AEW ranking system, says Brian Cage is, in his opinion, undefeated because that Moxley match didn't count. He also says that Brian Cage is currently ranked number one, says Ricky Starks almost won, uh, nearly won all of his matches, and the man's not even ranked. And he says that is horse shit. (laughs) Ricky Starks grabs the mic, he speaks, he can't figure out why he's not ranked, and he can't figure out why they don't have a match at full gear. So Taz sets its sights on Cody and Darby Allen. Says the office gives them everything they want. He says Cody likes to say do the work. Well, unfortunately, Team Taz is getting worked. And threatens that Team Taz will have a presence during the pay-per-view on Sunday. I thought a really good promo from Team Taz. I thought Taz is always Santa Crate, as do Ricky Starks and Brian Cage just standing there as a presence saying his catchphrase to me, like, this is like one of my favorite factions, like low key in, in AEW. Yeah, yeah. They're not like up at the top of the card or anything like that right now, but they're doing everything they absolutely need to right now. Uh, Starks looked like a million bucks in that outfit, by the way. I don't know how mm-hmm. to describe it all. Yeah, those crazy like patent leather loafers and kind of like a tight turtleneck that almost sort of reminded me of that like you know that famous viral picture uh of, of the rock with the fanny pack <laughs> and i think he, he is like on. skinny like the rock circa like 98 yeah you know? <laughs> uh yeah and you know and he's i mean i wouldn't quite put him in the same stratosphere but he's you know he's pretty damn handy uh with the stick here in, in addition to the actual you know the quality of it i like the fact that this segment was honing in on the fact that look being on the pay-per-view, being in marquee or championship matches matters to the roster, matters to the wrestlers. And they get pissed when they feel as though they are being uh, overlooked, right? The fact that, you know, and then it's kind of clever the way that, you know, I mean, Taz always does such a good line of kind of riding the, you know, the, the work shoot sort of thing with his language and everything like that. But then the fact that he's specifically going after Cody, Right. Obviously, as oh, well, you're the TNT champion and, you know, my guy should be getting a shot against you. But also obviously pointing to the fact that, oh, Cody's booking and it's his fault that, you know, none of my guys are are in primo spots here. Right. So I I love the way that like Taz just works in those little levels of kind of, you know, meta smart stuff uh, into all of his mic work. 
Does it um, perhaps telegraph the finish of the Darby Allen Cody match on Saturday? I mean, it might too, but I mean, they also have serious beef with Darby as well. So I, yeah, yeah, I mean, we might be, I mean, we might be heading to another tag match or something. I don't know. Up next, we got Private Party taking on the Young Bucks, and they bring up how this match was a rematch made after they discovered uh, that a member of Private Party's shoulder was up in the finish of their last match. Is that right? Is that, oh, did I didn't even catch that part of it. Oh, I, I just thought this was the, I just heard that this was the last minute sub in for the, um, uh, for the Scorpio, um, Spears match. I, Spears I didn't know match. that there was a, there was a kayfabe explanation for it. I mean, ultimately that was the reason, but I guess they might've brought the, brought up this other, other, oh, other reason that. for the match here. But, uh, Matt Hardy, of course, uh, oh, sorry. Of course, uh, who do we have here? Matt Jackson is working, of course, with a, an ankle injury caused by FTR's attack several weeks back. Um, and as Matt Hardy enters with private party, Sammy Guevara, uh, returns the favor, attacking him from the back. The both of them are taken to the back. The Bucks dominate most of this match. They're working their usual style, but after a double Pescado, Matt Jackson starts to favor that ankle and the ankle just keeps getting worse and worse as the match progresses. He's selling it off of every move, including his own offense as the Bucks continue for the most part to dominate private party. Uh, we had a hot tech to Isaiah Cassidy. He hits a great looking tornado, uh, taking out both of the Bucks, and he they then bo- blows this big nasty wet kiss to the camera. Matt is it looked disgusting. Uh, uh, they had spittle now. on it and everything. Like just, I, I, I know it was accidental, but just not not a good look during a pandemic. Matt is really clutching onto his ankle while he's on the apron here. Uh, and at this point, Private Party hit Gin and Juice. Mac breaks it up with one leg. The Bucks go for the Meltzer driver, but Mark Quinn escapes it. Quinn catches Matt's foot, but Nick comes in, saving him with a super kick. The Bucks hit the BTE trigger, and they get the win. What do you think of the match? I thought this was really good. Uh, you know, just probably, you know, the, the, the kind of the bell to bell highlight uh, of the whole night for me. Uh, I like the callback to the first match that they had. I believe it was the second episode of Dynamite, you know, where you had kind of the surprise roll up there. And then we had, uh, I think it was Cassidy and Matt. I can't remember uh, kind of doing these, these reversing roll ups, you know, kind of, kind of calling back to that there. Um, I mean, obviously, you know, like, I think the Bucks um, private party dynamic is one that, you know, it's one of the things that they chose to launch Dynamite with. And I think it's one that they're going to continue to come back to uh, at different times. Uh, You know, private party are a fair bit smoother than they were uh, a year or so ago. They're not necessarily yet the well-oiled machine you're going to want your your champs to, your tag champs to be. But I think they're on, on their way. And I liked sort of the kind of the subtle story here of... Yeah, you know, the, the, you know, and they've said this, right? That, oh, you know, the Hardys see a younger version of them, or excuse me, um, uh, the Jacksons see a younger version of themselves, uh, in private party. But, you know, the Bucks aren't as young, uh, as they used to be, right? They're, they're, they're broken down. They've got, you know, a, a bum leg and everything. Private party are younger, faster. Their cardio is better. And the Bucks have to be kind of just a little bit more cagey, a little bit more grimy and smarter. Uh, after, you know, Private Party upset them uh, last year. So I like that uh, as a story guiding for that match, guiding this match, although that maybe sort of flies in the face of the whole kind of uh, difference between FTR uh, and the Bucks in terms of, you know, FTR being, you know, the wily old schoolers there and, and the Bucks being the young high flyers. So maybe a bit of crossed wires there, but for the purposes of this match, I thought it was a really, really fun uh, and entertaining dynamic. I think you could be an old schooler and you can also be an old high flyer. 
you know, which is what, what maybe I think uh, you were alluding to with the Bucks here, sort of being the veterans. And, you know, we, we see like in, in the, at least like Cody kind of like has a similar story with him in like somebody like Darby Allen, you know, somebody who's um, like a big brother to his little brother. John Moxley and Darby Allen is a similar story as well. But like, I kind of see that with the Bucks and, and, and uh, private party where um, they will probably continue to have matches uh, upon matches for the for years to come but and ultimately someday you're going to have private party um just take over and and really you know continue to beat the young bucks because it'll be their time but it's not that right now um and also of course this match very notable for Matt selling up his ankle as a major injury heading into Saturday's match which uh, I, you know, big fan of Matt Jackson selling like the Bucks. I think I've always enjoyed, but like the moment they start integrating some of that like body part psychology yeah. in there, it just really for me takes it to another level. So I'm expecting this match to be really good on Saturday. Oh yeah, no, I mean, yeah, actual in in ring bell to bell. I think it should be great, even if you know. I think a lot of people have misgivings about the way that it has been presented and this sort of quasi heel turn from the bucks that they just they just completely moved away from in this episode yeah. there was no mention of you know them super kicking tony or any or, or you know throwing money in tony khan's face no mention of any of that on this episode i don't think i mean they kind of started drifting away from it last week didn't they when they talked about how it was like done out of um i don't know some sort of frustration like they really uh, the the entire elite sometimes good people do bad things i think was the line yeah right so the f so ftr attacks the bucks from behind they hit the good night express to matt uh and then again they threaten by clamping the chair onto his ankle again uh cash wheeler is that's that's his name right dax harwood and cash wheeler i still have to get used to it cash wheeler is about to stomp on it uh, they wait a very long time, I have to say, before Hangman Page comes out with his drink, uh, chasing them away, just simply at the vision of him. Um, and he's followed by Kenny Omega as well, who uh, comes out and chases FTR away. The re- the entire elite minus Cody are sitting in the ring. Uh, Omega and Page share a look. They're fist bumping each other. And for a brief moment, it appears that the elite are united one more time. Did you take this as perhaps, um, you know, a, um, a, a, a reunion that will last with the elite beyond Saturday? No, I, I mean, I, I think we're going straight into kind of, you know, we're, I, I, I think they're pulling away from the Bucks doing the heel thing. Uh, and, and so I think we're going like straight ahead with, uh, you know, a, a pretty emphatic win for uh, Omega. Uh, and then him just kind of leaving uh, the elite behind uh, in, in order to go after uh, to go after Moxley afterwards. I think that's uh, a really logical um, and kind of long-lasting, or excuse me, a uh, long-building story that they've kind of had on the back burner there for a while. Uh, but I love the fact that you can always call, make these callbacks, right? And I, I think this is this is something that I imagine um, everybody involved kind of saw how, you know, an entity like New Japan could do these sorts of things, certainly with obviously the um, the Omega Ibushi uh, dynamic, right? And how just two people accidentally being in the ring at the same time or whatever it might be, not even with anything being said, can sort of lay the seeds for uh, something else down the road, for better or for worse. I also like the fact that, I mean, it was a subtle thing here, but you had Paige running out, you know, 
theoretically quickly uh, for the save. And then it was Omega who was a little bit late. And that's the exact mm-hmm. opposite of what was happening, uh, I think, just kind of as we were heading into, like, lockdown and everything back in, like, February and March, when, you know, if the Bucks were in trouble or Omega was in trouble, Hangman was always late, you know, to, to, to make the save and everything like that. And here it was like, you know, Kenny, who was, you know, maybe kind of working on his core or something like that. And, you know, didn't, wasn't, wasn't able to get off the couch in time uh, to, to help his buds as fast as, uh, as fast as he might've. Do you think this ends the rivalry between Paige and the Bucks? Between Paige and the Bucks? I mean, mm. again, this is something that I think has been kind of, they've they've been a bit too clever for their own good in terms of how they've tried to thread that needle, all of the weird stuff with like, I, I don't understand why FTR are the entity that we're sort of playing head games when they're supposed to be the old time bruisers and not kind of, you know, the modern, you know, uh, the more modern psychological masters. So that, I think they're kind of pulling away from that. Uh, and, and yeah, I think after we have, again, if I, if we're kind of looking towards a defeated page and possibly a defeated Bucks, uh, after Saturday, then you'll have those three kind of like, you know, regrouping and maybe licking their wounds together. We we go to our face-to-face with John Moxley and Eddie Kingston up next. And the moment John Moxley steps into the ring, Eddie Kingston tells Tony Schiavone to leave. He grabs the mic and immediately cuts into this very, very intense promo right up in John Moxley's face. He says, Saturday, I'm going to take that title from you. And I'm going to take it to my mom. And I'm going to say... This is the reason you don't have a grandchild. This is the reason why you don't have a daughter-in-law. It's because of this. He says he had to sell out. He had to become everything he hated. And he says it's too late for him, John. He ain't, John, you ain't saving nobody. And I'm taking that championship from you. Moxley says he doesn't have many friends. He's been burned and burned again. But he didn't think it would be by Eddie. He says he was happy when Eddie Kingston signed with AEW. He was happy for him. He was happy for his mother, Ruthie. The mention of Ruthie definitely incited Eddie Kingston, who just continued to like react in just the most animated, aggressive way um, against John Moxley in this promo. Uh, Moxley goes on to describe saying grace with Eddie and his mother at the dinner table where he also made a promise to Ruthie that he would look after Eddie. But Moxley says he's going to break that promise. Mox says the loudest person in the room is usually the weakest. So Eddie, being very loud lately, he thinks that there's something wrong with him. He thinks deep down in his heart, he knows that he's going to be in the ring with the best wrestler in the world. And he's going to lose on Saturday. And he says that's a scary thought that after 18 years, maybe he didn't deserve this after all. And Mox says the worst part of this is that Eddie made a promise to his mother that he won't be able to keep. Kingston just is completely livid at this point. He says, off mic, you better get ready to kill me. This is real, as he storms out of the ring, because um, I believe there's a rule that says he can't attack Moxley before the match. So Mox ends the the segment by saying, on Saturday, you're going to realize that you're not the man who you thought you were, and you're going to say, I quit intensity was just very high from the get-go here for this segment it was crazy um and especially from eddie kingston like this this run continues to feel like you know something that he's been he's not taking for granted whatsoever you know it feels like he really much of his words feel incredibly genuine because i mean the man 
you can buy like has waited 18 years for a moment like this oh yeah, this was this was fantastic this is i mean you're obviously not going to get something like this you know in an entity like new japan pro wrestling that i that i love with all my heart but this is what i want in, you know in north american uh pro wrestling in terms of setting up uh a, a match here i i mean i had goosebumps throughout the entirety of this i thought it was wonderful um i i did some quick informal uh informal polling of some friends um, after last week's episode of Dynamite, just to sort of take the temperature of, hey, which which matches are you most excited about? And, and by far and away, uh, Kingston and uh, Moxley was the most popular there. Uh, so I mean, I this was this was you know maybe my most anticipated match going into the weekend, and then this just dumped a whole bunch of extra hot sauce on it. This is this is great. I love the whole kind of you know morally conf- not even morally conflicted someone who knows he is doing something wrong and is unable to change or repent. And even though he knows he's kind of damning himself by going down this sort of road, right? We kind of got a hint of that, as I think you and John were talking about last week, you know, with kind of Eddie, like, you know, going through the rosary beads uh, in the video uh, last week there. And then, yeah, this just brought it into some, like, super heavy-duty, like, you know, New York gangster stuff about, you know, blood oaths made to mothers and everything like that. Uh, just absolutely fantastic. I love the fact that, again, to what I was saying a few minutes ago there, although this has become a really serious personal blood feud, the title is still central to it because the title is what, you know, Kingston has kind of mortgaged his future and sacrificed, you know, the prospect of having a normal life in order to achieve, right? And we understand that this is ultimately the thing uh, that is driving him to, to to give up everything and to, you know, give up his own soul and admitting as much uh, to Moxley there. Also, I mean, I, you know, as, as, a, as a kind of a technical camera person their way, uh, I really dug the blocking of this. There's that point where um, Kingston turns away from Moxley as he's talking him as though he knows like look if I look in his face I'm going to punch him and then I don't get the match so I have to, I can't even look at this guy while this is happening so you have the camera kind of looking over Kingston's shoulder at Mox in the background there just just great stuff here wonderful it was very good theater absolutely uh, all the way down to you know just um, like the man's visuals um, these two I think you know we've seen throughout their interactions with one another uh, have fantastic chemistry. Uh, they're both excellent storytellers, uh, especially in the case of Eddie Kingston, who I think has just been, who would have thought, honestly, like, you know, at the beginning yeah. of this year that, like, the man would be headlining, looks like, you know, an AEW pay-per-view. And according to many, not just your friends, but, you know, amongst maybe, you know, uh, a lot of us, maybe me too, it being in the most anticipated matchup of that card, uh, trumping, you know, Hangman Page versus Kenny Omega, uh, FTR versus the Bucks. So it's, uh, and, and we're talking about a match that isn't even a first time. We just, yeah. we just saw this match on TV, yet in a few short weeks, they managed to like create this very intense personal backstory that like has just increased my interest, uh, even though this is the second time. So, yeah, I'm I'm really glad they've had the faith in both of them to kind of realize that there's there's a there's more storytelling to be done here. There's more money to be made here, uh, and they've decided to go with it. It's especially cool when you think of the fact that, from what I've heard, you know, from interviews and everything, you know, Kingston was legitimately planning on kind of just 
ramping down and effectively kind of, you know, low-key retiring, you know, two or three years ago. Uh, and then again, I think, you know, kind of uh, power as an entity kind of reminded people, oh, right, this guy's an incredible talker. Uh, and then, yeah, obviously being able to step in there, uh, you know, it, uh, replacing the Archer match. It's just a, it's a really nice series of, you know, serendipity or coincidence here that this is where we are now. He was good on power, but like this is the the form for him. Yeah. You know, he's way better here. I mean, obviously working against a guy like John Moxley in a principal title picture role, but also just being able to I think like power was cool, but it had that kind of almost like comic y eighties vibe yeah. to it that almost like made it hard for him to cut a serious promo like this. Whereas AEW I think is modern. Um it allows him to like tell perhaps like more deeper personal stories. So anyway, uh great on him. Up next we have Pack. An update from Pack who we haven't heard from in quite some time since the beginning of this pandemic. So we see a video from Pack. He's sitting on a couch at home and all of a sudden around the couch uh appears full gear packs popping up all around him uh pack re- normal pack uh says the funny thing about isolation is that you've got nobody to play with he says it's been seven months he's been a casualty of this world but he's been here before every day that passes he gets stronger and better so um and that's really it like a cool looking you know um video i think i guess showing that even though Pac isn't quite in the arena just yet, uh, it seems like his return is imminent. And he says, as every day passes, he's getting stronger and better. Yeah, um, I was a little bit confused as to what the, the larger messaging here was. Um, I kind of had mixed feelings about those uh, solo pack vignettes that we got. Um, I think, again, either just before or just after uh, lockdown started, where there's kind of that weird, almost like Jack the Ripper vibe of him like lurking in these like seedy alleyways. Uh, on like cobblestone and everything like that. Um, I, I like the look of him in, in this vignette here, just like standing on this kind of like desolate seaside, this kind of gray, grimy shore, you know, you know, s- selling this idea that he's alone and he's kind of going stir crazy. Um, but I was kind of unclear as to what he was specifically angry about or who he was calling out. The like the idea was that he was watching, you know, episodes of Dynamite and they kept playing audio of Kingston saying, where's your British friend, uh, to the Lucha Brothers. So it's like, okay, is he coming back to get, you know, to get back at the Lucha Bros or Kingston for sort of moving on without him? Maybe, but it it, it felt a little bit aimless. I don't think there there was necessarily a specific target. I mean, if there's anybody you could perhaps look at Kingston or the Lucha Bros as, I think, like, you know, uh, logical uh, people he would have to answer to and talk about. Um, but I just kind of felt this was more just of a teaser to remind you who this guy was and that he is coming back. And it seems like a return would be imminent. Do you like, where do you think he fits in? Do you think it would be as a heel or baby face? I mean, you're, you're obviously going to get, you know, uh, something of a hero's welcome, uh, for anybody who's been away this long and for, you know, somebody who was, you know, doing pretty well for themselves, uh, at the time that the lockdown, uh, happened. So I really think, I mean, he's, you know, he's a versatile enough performer, and we've seen him work with, uh, I think, a wide enough range of people, um, not just in AEW, but in, you know, those runs that he was doing in, uh, you know, Dragon Gate in the UK and everything um, after leaving WWE, that you can kind of slot him in wherever you want, I think. Like, I kind of almost feel like not committing, maybe, you know, maybe, yeah, maybe, maybe I'm being a bit too critical here, maybe just not 
stating a direction for him and then seeing when he is able to come, okay, who needs, you know, who needs a dance partner uh, at this particular time and how could we fit him in there? Uh, you know, I, I think he's versatile enough that I could see him going either way. I think Pac is like, I think he's going to be way better as a, as a heel, especially coming in. Um, I, 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 I'm also trying to think now, you know, if he is going to get paired with perhaps somebody like Kingston or even like the Lucha bros, um, I'm thinking what the next steps are for Eddie Kingston. Cause I don't think he's going to beat John Moxley for the title. And if he's not going to, to, uh, continue that, that way, of course you can have him continue to manage like the stable, uh, maybe challenge, you know, Cody for the TNT belt, but, with the way he's been portraying his character being as sympathetic as it is, I definitely see a babyface turn in Eddie Kingston's mm. future. And if that's the case, is that a logical turn or a logical next step for Pac? You know, to pair him against the babyface Eddie Kingston, maybe even throw in the Lucha Bros, either as babyfaces uh, siding with Kingston against Pac or, or maybe just Ray Phoenix. Yeah, no, I think that's that's that would be absolutely logical. I mean, I think, you know, yourself and John and and a lot of other people have sort of said, man, you know, having Phoenix just sort of kind of play a heel on TV kind of seems like a weird use uh, of one of the most natural, you know, just in-ring baby faces that you have on the planet right now. So yeah, so so anything that could sort of uh, reshuffle and reorder things there uh, would be fine. Yeah, I think, you know, if we have like a completely broken, humiliated and empty Kingston uh, having lost on Saturday, uh, then sort of, you know, having Pac come in as this sort of, uh, you know, avenging demon or whatever, wanting back at the person who, you know, broke up his group or something like that. Yeah, you could kind of, you could be, you could kind of shuffle the deck a little bit there. Alex Marvez is with the natural nightmares in the back. They're about to cut a promo on the Butcher and the Blade, who they're going to face next week. But in walks Ali, who tells QT Marshall that his credit cards are maxed out. And it's, this leads to a sneak attack from Butcher and the Blade, uh, which leads to next week's match in ring we have red velvet with brandy taking on nyla rose with vicky guerrero uh red velvet is uh two and nine in aw much of uh almost almost exclusively i think from dark uh, and she's currently a tag partner of brandy's who's acting as a bit of a mentor for her in her corner so red velvet pu- rushes nyla rose from the get-go but Nyla quickly takes control. Uh, Velvet attempts a diving Rana, but Rose catches and delivers a spitting powerbomb. Rather than covering her, she pulls Velvet up and instead hits Hikaru Shida's finisher, the Tamashi, which is her running knee, with Shida watching ringside. And uh, Nyla Rose gets the very quick win. So um, afterwards, Vicky Guerrero takes the microphone and uh, Velvet comes out with brandy as vicky cuts a promo on brandy who says rather than the cbo the chief brand officer brandy should be known as the cbso the chief bullshit officer huh inspired vicky then turns her attention to hokaru shida who says uh vicky takes credit for uh making her shida accept nyla rose's challenge last week and tells her to enjoy her last days as champion, Sumi Masen, and they brawl. So, uh, your thoughts on on this feud? We haven't really had much time with it. I mean, other than uh, the challenge last week, and then this segment this yeah. week. Uh, what What are your thoughts? It's. I think it's fine as sort of a fallback here. Um, you know, I, I. It does sort of put Sheeta in the position of sort of being kind of like a reactive champion. You know, in that. 
she, you know, she's sort of said, oh, I, I want competition or whatever. But it's really just been like this kind of parade of people kind of one after one sort of saying, hey, me next. And her kind of going, oh, OK, fine. And, and that's kind of it. Right. Um, you know, I, I don't I'm not saying that we need to have like some sort of, you know, really uh, out there extravagant character uh, for Sheeta. Like, I, you know, I, I've really enjoyed uh, her in ring work. And I think that that uh, can certainly stand for itself. Um, you know, I think. We- we don't need extravagance, but I think we need some some relatability of yeah. her character, and we just simply haven't had that. Like even something as simple as like, I'm here trying to prove that I am the best. Um, I don't think we've been able to convey really anything about her other than the fact that she holds this belt. Yeah, I mean, I think you know we've seen you know in uh, plenty of other cases that even if you do want to do like a more um, kind of casual in person subtitled you know, interview, like, you know, on the couch with, you know, with JR or something like that. Like, you know, this is an audience that is absolutely willing uh, to to go along with something like that, right? So, yeah, a little bit more backstory about her motivations and, you know, what uh, AEW or what, you know, success here, you know, in in this difficult time means something just, yeah, a a little bit of something like that. Um, You know, a lot's been said, uh, and I think we were talking a bit about it off the top, about you know, the, the AEW women's division and the question of sort of, oh, well, should we be, you know, do they need more TV time or is it kind of the the lack of depth in the roster? Um, you know, you see them trying, as we were talking about off the top, really trying to flesh out that roster uh, as much as possible and as quickly as possible. I know that there was a lot of talk about how there was going to be a push for Abaddon uh, before she mm-hmm. got injured. So I've been, I've just been assuming that she was meant to be kind of the, the new monster on the block uh, that was going to be put up against Cheetah uh, mm. until that injury. We get a really awkward transition to this uh, next segment, which is a Kenny Omega Hangman Page video package. Uh, the announcers seem really confused, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> Impact Don Callis actually appears in this as a Kenny Omega expert, uh, so he just gives his thought on the match. And then we get this like <laughs> really cheesy video montage set to don't know what you got till it's gone by 80s glam metal band cinderella um i have to say like you know uh in terms of technique and style this was not one of the better video packages i've seen (laughs) from AEW. um and i don't know if that was intentional because of the cheesiness of the 80s theme um i suppose it did its job of like reminding you of like some of the history between these two but what did you think of it i mean the tone of it was a little bit off considering, um, you know, the relative seriousness of both men's arcs heading into this feud. That said, I did, I have to admit, I cracked a smile when I realized it was Cinderella uh, that I was getting to hear in the year of our Lord 2020 on, on network television. Um, I, I, I'll, minor little note here. Callus, you know, if you remember, he turned on Kenny at that like indie show in Winnipeg like a couple of years ago. And so I don't know why he's imagining he can get back on the Omega bandwagon at this point. But anyway, um, yeah, I mean, it's I feel as though, again, to kind of, you know, call back to uh, the ways in which I feel they're playing around with some of the same tools 
that we that was done you know with the golden lover storyline i feel as though they're trying to sort of kind of play around with some of that same dynamic right this kind of this sense of betrayal and this sort of oh you know i i need to move on and be free and it's like oh yes fine i, I understand that but i also sort of you know the, the the kind of the all of the unspoken emotions that lie beneath you know the breakup of obviously a romantic couple or uh, a tag team uh, in, in this case right i mean that's obviously the dynamic that you know the golden lovers sort of w- entirely relied upon pot not necessarily as you know directly a homoerotic uh, connotation in this case but trying to tap into that same sort of well of you know uh, you know kind of uh almost like melodramatic sentimentality over the possibility uh of this you know supposedly beloved tag team uh having to part ways at the crossroads I think my standard for uh, 80s music montage is just is just like that much higher now after reviewing Rocky Four. So <laughs> maybe enough. I was I was especially hard on this one, but yes, Rocky Four review everybody. It's up on the Pro Wrestling Cafe. One, uh, it's it was a lot of fun to review with John and uh, John's childhood friend Ed Boxer talking about that particular film. It is incredibly fun, and if you're looking for a distraction while still maybe considering. You know, a bit of a a bit of Americana from from the eighties. I highly recommend a rewatch of that film anytime. Next week on Dynamite, we have, of course, Butcher and the Blade taking on the Natural Nightmares, as well Penta versus Phoenix, a rematch uh, from their um, uh, t- uh, title eliminator uh, first rounder. So, doing that one again. We go up next to a Darby Allen video, and again, it's black and white so it's super artistic we see a beat up painted car with the words face of tnt written on it darby takes a skateboard to smash the window of this car um (laughs) he gets into the car uh as we see a man in a suit wearing a cody mask and darby proceeds to run this man over as we see uh we see the guy take a a sammy Guevara bump for this car and uh that's the end i mean usually it's darby allen like taking all the damage in this video in these videos uh this was his poor friend dressed up as uh cody rhodes (laughs) um but nonetheless you know like the jackass stunt that he did with steve-o i think is really apropos because these are essentially just jackass stunts except black and white yeah yeah and then therefore artsy and therefore you know dark and moody and emo and everything like that um I mean, you know, like all of the other Darby segments, you know, it it obviously comes from him, uh, and and that's good, and that's fine. Um, But I guess my issue here was that this was, I mean, you know, this match got announced, I don't know, what, two, three weeks ago when, you know, Darby just kind of walked out, I believe, after the Orange Cassidy match, and okay, fine, that's it. Um, I I believe he had already earned... Wait, didn't he? Did he by that time earn? Yeah, he had earned the title shot somehow. Oh, okay. He was set to face the winner of that match. Okay, okay. Um, I I guess my point is that they weren't really doing much with the uh, Cody Darby. How 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 long ago was the Orange Cassidy? Was that just last week? The Orange Cassidy Cody match. God, It, it was last week or the week before. I guess, you know, it's a short turnaround time. But I guess my point is that like I didn't really get a sense of what was driving. Uh, no pun intended, uh, you know, Darby in this segment and what his relationship with Cody was was meant to be portrayed as here. Like, I mean, we got that at the end. We'll get to that. But up until this point, it's like there'd been no mention 
of the, I don't think, on air of the, the Fighter Fest match at that point. I think at some point earlier this year, they like did run-ins to save one another. So it really did kind of, it felt like this was something that had to be constructed on, on really, really short notice. And I wasn't really clear as to what sort of, of conflict or dynamic uh, was being expressed, at least at this point. So uh, Orange Cassidy Cody was last week, so that might kind of have to explain some of the lack of, yeah. you know, the rush job that they might have to do. But secondly, I, I mean, I thought it was pretty apparent, like the story that they're trying to tell of, Co- yeah, like Cody really had to spell it out here at the end, you know. Um, but other than that, like it was, it's it's Darby struggling with whatever the idea of being the face of TNT was. Like he did a similar video last week where. Was it the jackass stunt where he fell off the half pipe? Yeah, he rolled down the half pipe, yeah. And, and didn't the ba- body bag say like "face of TNT" or something, like some something to the effect? Oh, like he alluded have... to to the idea of like being the face of TNT earlier, but we didn't really have somebody spell it out until Cody at this very last segment here. Um, so, um, y- you know, it's 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 maybe another one you kind of have to chalk up to like you know a lack of time to really flesh out. Uh, story wise, but I think there was an attempt at you know some deeper meaning here. Mm-hmm. We go to our main event, and it's the Dark Order, the team of John Silver, Ten, and Colt Cabana taking on Cody and the Gun Club, Billy and Austin Gunn. Uh, what did you think of this as the main event of this show? I was really shocked by it when I realized I, I, I can't remember if it was announced as such at the beginning of this show, but when the you know, however many matches were announced, um you know, last week on Dynamite and then, you know, last night or last week on Dynamite and last night on Dark, I, I assumed this would be happening, I, I don't know, sometime uh, after kind of the first hour uh, bump, you know, in kind of your, your fifth or sixth quarter hour or something like that. I certainly did not see this as, as a main event match. Uh, you know, if I'm remembering correct, I, I think they acknowledge the fact that, you know, neither Billy nor Austin have had a match on Dynamite yet. And then all of a sudden they're there tagging with Cody because apparently according to Shivani Cody trusts Billy Gunn so okay <laughs> alright I think this this will be the first time the Gun Club has had a match I believe Billy's probably appeared before I, I think but um, this was the Gun Club making their Dynamite debut and they actually inform us that they are 9-0 and o as a team which I suppose that stat alone might, be, might warrant something but they also inform us that Cody has now welcomed the Gun Club into the Nightmare family so, um, whatever that means, I guess. A lot you know, of factions guess, going on. <laughs> yeah, I guess they'll be coming in to save QT Marshall. Like, where were they, actually, when they were getting beaten <laughs> up earlier? Uh, John Silver, by far, is the biggest personality in this ring. He is constantly just taunting and posing against Cody, so they're very much, like, pushing this guy as perhaps, like, you know, the face of the Dark Order, even more so than, than uh, Brody Lee at this point. Uh, Austin Gunn here, of course, was also getting a lot of ring time. He was doing all the babyface selling during the picture-in-picture and got quite a bit of offense in as well. We come back from commercial. He hot tags to his dad, Billy Gunn, who looks, again, much like um, Miro, like Billy Gunn, you know, uh, what some would consider a bit of an average size guy in the WWE during his time. He looks like a giant in an AEW ring. He hits the Famouser on 10, but Silver breaks that up. 10 hits his ripcord cutter onto gun for two cody tosses silver into the crowd and austin um i guess a sign of being a part of the nightmare family uh he now uses the crossroads and then hits his finisher known as the quick draw pinning 10 
for the victory. So, you know, I think that at least shows you maybe some of the idea of why they put an unknown team like the Gun Club into the main event. Uh, because you end the show here with Austin Gunn, a complete unknown, getting a victory uh, on an episode of AEW Dynamite. So it seemed to me a real concerted effort to promote him uh, to end the show. What did you think of the match? Uh, there were a lot of moving parts. Uh, <laughs> I don't know that it was um, super fluid, especially given sort of the range of, you know, kind of modes or styles that a lot of these guys are working. Um, but, you know, before I go on to say anything, I want to say I'm like, I've, I'm really uh, like, I'm, I've been a big, uh, you know, John Silver fan. I've liked him since he started showing up in PWG, like, you know, five years ago. I think that he's a perfect example of how you can use uh, being the elite to sort of explore new stories and build character without completely um, disrupting the continuity of Dynamite. But, you know, this is theoretically the main event of your go home show before one of your four pay-per-views. And there's a lot of comedy going on in here. As you're saying, you have somebody that I imagine 90% of the audience is possibly not aware of in Austin Gunn pinning, you know, just another one of the kind of the Dark Order uh, putty patrol effectively uh, in here to theoretically end the wrestling segment of, of, you know, of your go-home show. Um, In uh, John's news update, this week, he had uh, he was talking about uh, a presser that Tony Khan did, and he quoted Don as saying that four times per year, Dynamite is centered around building the pay-per-view, and the other 48 of the weeks are about solid in-ring action. So, okay, fine. I don't know if that was him getting ahead of the fact that, you know, we don't have a massive main event here, but did this match itself get me super excited for either Cody Darby or, you know, Silver Cassidy? Uh, eh, it didn't really move the needle in that sense. I, I always appreciate like AEW doing bold moves like, you know, featuring a complete unknown in a main event and then giving that guy a, a win. I I just don't think that time should be the go home show yeah. for one of your pay-per-views. So I'm in agreement there. Um, you know, as far as like an in-ring performance, I think Austin Gunn looked capable, looked like he fit in there. Wasn't necessarily anything that impressive. Um, honestly, like seemed yeah. at least to me just like another guy. Um, but I've yet to see what his promo would be like, you know, uh, what type of story he might be telling with Cody here. It seems almost like too on the nose for him to just simply be a protege. He seems to me just somebody who would be a natural heel, much in the way of like, you know, like sort of an MJF Cody protege, you know, storyline who might eventually turn on him. But anyway, we're getting too far, too ahead of ourselves. And that this is what I mean. You have all these possibilities between, you know, a new guy and, and being introduced into Cody's faction. But I just don't think this week is the right week to put that focus yeah. onto him because we're going to forget about it by the time we finish recapping this show. So um, I'm kind of with you there. As Cody grabs the microphone. Sorry, if I can interject. Oh, minor, minor yes, point please. here. Uh, as uh, just a quick little aside, uh, as somebody who I know has memories of, you know, the 1992 Blue Jays World Series, did you notice how much the Gun Club theme is basically a dead ringer for the controversial, like, Atlanta Braves Tomahawk Chop song? I did not. I did not pay Keep that close open. attention. Keep an ear open. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. Interesting. I wonder if there's any significance or if it's... Probably they're not from Atlanta, are they? Like, there's probably a coincidence, right? Could be, could be. I mean, I can't remember where their music writer is from, but anyway, just as somebody who has that drilled into my head, it just immediately <laughs> stuck out to me. But anyway, sorry. 
So we uh, so after the match, John Silver is stalking all the baby faces from behind, but Orange Cassidy comes in and stops him with the orange punch again, reminding us of their match taking place on Saturday. Cody grabs the microphone. He looks to Darby Allen sitting in the rafters and says, Darby doesn't think a TNT wants him as the face of the network. Cody says that's not true. He says that the circumstances were different. Cody would want him to be the face of this network. He personally recruited him to AEW. But he again calls the TNT title the ace belt and says that the problem, Darby, is that you are not the ace. So a very little, a quick little promo from Cody, I thought quite effective and uh, maybe perhaps much needed, you know, to to really drive home this feud. I mean, in my opinion, I think this is a program that's been hot enough or at least like two characters that are hot enough that on paper I'm looking forward to the match anyway. But um, perhaps they could have used a bit more time to really sell like the face of TNT idea. Yeah, I I think that giving, uh, you know, Cody... I don't know whether it might be on dark and getting a little bit of it replayed uh, as one of the vignettes here or something like that to kind of get this out. Cause it felt like he was like really up against the clock here. Like I think it was like 90 seconds left or something. And there was a lot of beats that he obviously was trying to hit there. There was the truth that I speak contradicts the lies that a lot of people live. And I'm like, I have no idea who you're referring to uh, at this particular moment here. I mean, I'm interested. I'm, I'm excited for the match. The general idea of, you know, Darby maybe, you know, kind of wallowing in a bit of self-pity and viewing himself as more of an outsider uh, than he actually is. And, you know, he just needs to step up and grab the brass ring. Sure, fine. You know, that's I, I, I can um, I can accept that as a storyline there. But I don't know that this kind of uh, kind of convoluted and dog's breakfast sort of a, a match was the right way to sort of hang uh, to, to kind of hang or set up that 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 uh, side of this match coming up on Saturday. We should also mention that uh, there's going to be a countdown to full gear where you'll get um, some fleshing out of some of these stories in particular, John Moxley versus Eddie Kingston. They did preview as saying uh, the countdown will kind of reveal a lot more about their personal history. So mm-hmm. that's definitely a segment I'll be looking forward to uh, if I have time to catch it. Um, I don't know if like something like Cody versus Darby Allen is going to be high caliber enough for them to spend that time on it. But um, your thoughts uh, on this go home show. Um, you know, it did check off a lot of the things that I was looking for uh, in it. It did, you know, even if a couple of the a couple of the builds uh, felt sort of rushed, uh, I, I do think that you know we at least have a better sense of um, you know the motivations heading into this. Uh, I, I, again, I can't overstate just how hot of a match and a feud uh, Kingston Moxley now feels. I absolutely would have put that in the main event uh, spot there. I think that like mm-hmm. that whole segment would have been an incredible last image, you know, revolving around your main title as well. Uh, would have been great there. Um, so yeah, so even if you know a couple of these matches don't necessarily feel quite as hot as they might be, as you were saying at the top of the show, their way, you know, on paper, this is a really, really stacked card. And I do expect the actual, you know, bell to bell to be really, really good this Saturday. Um, you know, a few of those things feel a little bit, uh, you know, more, more intense and real and grounded uh, than they did before. A couple of them, not so much. Uh yeah, I mean, for me, like, this was a card I was already quite excited by, and I think, like, in terms of story, like, what, did they flesh out anything? You know, did they improve my anticipation for anything? And I'll say John Moxley and Eddie Kingston, like, the championship match that matters, absolutely yes. Uh, I think they did a great job with that. 
Um, Cody, Darby Allen, yeah, a little bit. You know what? Before we let's let's just get right into the preview. You want to do that? Sure. Yeah. So Saturday we've got uh, AW Full Gear, and starting us off on the buy-in is uh, for the NWA World Women's Championship. We have Serena Deeb versus Allison K. Uh, we briefly talked about this earlier, but um, your expectations for this match and uh, the outcome. I've been really impressed. I mean, I have to admit, I haven't seen much of Deeb's work uh, previous uh, to her AEW appearances here, but, uh, you know, she's looked, I think, really, really good. Uh, thus far, I was one of those people who really enjoyed that uh, that first Thunder Rosa match that uh, that she had on Dynamite uh, a few weeks ago. Um, so, yeah, so again, kind of like we were saying at the top here, I do feel as though you know, the NWA women's division and the AEW women's division, it's kind of sort of a marriage of convenience, <laughs> you know, due to COVID uh, right now. But it does sort of, I think, it, it, if nothing else, it really kind of steps up, uh, obviously, the the amount and quality of, of women's wrestling on AEW right now. And that's not a bad thing. Uh, again, you know, ideally, would it be on the kickoff? Maybe not. Uh, but it should be. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. It should be a good match. Uh, I think, you know, Deep continues to... Uh, you know, uh, impress. And I imagine this will, you know, be her continuing to, you know, establish like a lengthy reign with this NWA World Women's Championship. I mean, really for Allison K, this is going to be her tryout for AEW. And I'm not even, you know what, not even necessarily AEW. This is going to be her tryout for the wrestling world. And we've seen, you know, with with other performers like uh, Ben Carter, Mm -hmm. an appearance on a national stage like AEW will certainly like uh, improve your stock in the eyes of several companies. So for her, I'm looking forward to this being perhaps the best you know performance she's had in years, if not maybe her entire career. So it's a big match for her. But I do expect Serena Deep to retain. We also have on the actual card now, Orange Cassidy versus John Silver in a singles match. Um, you know, in theory, I think Silver is somebody who uh, can maybe you know, kind of stimulate or kick off uh, a fresher side of, you know, Cassidy's more uh, comedy-heavy uh, side of things, which, you know, he's kind of, you know, which he kept very much out of the out, out of the ring uh, in, in that Cody match, right, which I think was the right call. This is a different match. This is a different opponent. This is a time, uh, I think, for a bunch of, you know, kind of grab-ass tomfoolery and everything. Uh, and like I said, I just... I. You know, it isn't just the com- you know the comic character. I'm I really enjoy Silver's uh, in ring work, uh, and I'm just I'm just super stoked that he's been able to kind of work his way onto uh, you know the, the actual card of a of a big pay per view here. You're right that like this is definitely like the time for maybe more of a traditional like comedy based Orange Cassidy style of match. Um, and to me, like the outcome should only really go one way. You've invested so much thus far in Orange Cassidy. Um, part of the reason why I feel like this match has even taken place is just simply to get his presence on the show because you don't really have another, you know, beefy feud for Orange Cassidy at the moment. So I see this being as a showcase match. I mean, John Silver, he's the type of character who should lose, quite frankly, for all of his matches. Doesn't lose a thing as far as, you know, appeal. So, uh, probably that, that'll be the outcome. Jericho versus MJF. If MJF wins, he is allowed to join the inner circle. To me, this is like one of the more like well-built-up matches throughout the entire uh, cycle thus far. Um, it's a match that I didn't really think we were going to get for this pay-per-view. Yeah. I didn't think I didn't think we were going to get to for several pay-per-views later. But they're starting off essentially the program with it uh, to kick off uh, what what has to be a further story down the road. So, what what do you see for this one? 
Yeah, it's interesting that they've kind of, you know, if you want to say put the cart before the horse here or whatever, uh, I was kind of surprised by it, but I do like the stipulation and I do think that the stipulation um, will really help to drive forward, you know, like you're saying, now a pretty long running uh, and deep feud here. Uh, Obviously, I understand that people have... uh, lots of different opinions uh, about something like the dinner debonair and that's fine uh, but I do think that the actual just you know chemistry between these two uh, is something that you want to, to ride for as long as possible um, I also think that it's you know Jericho is an interesting opponent just in the ring uh, for MJF as he kind of you know is continuing to you know try to I think you know kind of work obviously on you know and he is improving uh, in his kind of uh, in, in ring work uh, as as well as the actual uh, you know character stuff so yeah so I see MJF winning here uh, I see ultimately um, MJF not only being uh, you know initially begrudgingly accepted into the inner circle but maybe bit by bit beginning to sort of assert more dominance and control over it and you know if we were talking about Characters like Wardlow, characters like Sammy, the possibility of a face run for Jericho. I think once you have MJF kind of in this kind of seat of power there, you can start doing a lot of interesting things uh, w- with the members of the inner circle. So, yeah, I'm, I'm putting my money on MJF on this one. Like, you know, starting off a feud with like arguably the biggest match you can make in this program, I mean, it is one of those kind of bold AEW mm-hmm. moves that I, I, I imagine I, I would have a lot of faith and then being able to um, do it now, and then doing this exact same match several months later, but be, the circumstances being completely different, the rules being completely different. So I look forward to seeing like you know this first chapter uh, essentially in like this 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 story. You know what what promises to be, I guess, a bit more of a storied rivalry between these two. Um, and maybe leading to a Chris Jericho face turn. So I also go with MJF. Uh, I look forward to seeing how he integrates with the inner circle proper. Hikaru Shida take it on Nyla Rose for the AEW Women's World Championship. Uh, we kind of already, you know, shared some thoughts, but do you see a title change for this one? I mean, I could. It's not beyond the realm of possibility. I mean, obviously, Rose is, you know, kind of at least on on appearances and kind of, you know, in, in-ring dominance and everything, the sort of, you know, the de facto sort of person that you expect the title to just kind of return to uh, every every now and again. Um, I think it really depends on what they want to do with some of these other, you know, women like, you know, Allison Kay and, oh, geez, I feel bad. I for, forget her name, the, uh, the the Russian shooter woman. Um, you know, the, uh, the, the, you know the, the new people that are being brought in here, you know, do you want to continue to have um, Sheeta kind of having competitive matches with them. Uh, and I think that there's maybe a little bit more value in the short term there of doing that rather than having Rose, you know, kind of, uh, you know, dominate and continue to defeat uh, a, a burgeoning um, women's division. So I think Sheeta makes a bit more sense if you want to start showcasing uh, a wider range of talent in the women's division. Yeah, the idea that this was, by the way, I think you, Layla Hirsch, was that yes, your, thank who you're looking thank for? You, yeah. I don't know if she's signed. Um, yeah. I believe she might not be at, at the moment, but um, uh, nonetheless, like maybe somebody that they're looking to bring in. But um, I, you know, you mentioned earlier how perhaps Abaddon might have, might have had uh, some part in this. And that leads me to believe you know, could they have put the title on Abaddon? I mean, maybe I shouldn't even think that way. The thing is, it's like, clearly they, they are having limitations with trying to tell some stories with Hikaru Shida. Meanwhile, with Nyla Rose, uh, you have somebody who can cut a promo on her own now. She's proven that ability. And she also has Vicky Guerrero. And, 
you know, Nyla Rose, she did have a run, but at the same time, it's like, I don't really think they went as far as they could have with her being as champion. Um, you know, the question to ask is if they, they feel like Sheeta is better chasing, uh, if Sheeta's kind of run at the top might be over, I think it's a very real possibility, but I'm also thinking like where they can jump to after this. And it's like, it's think, really I mean, hard I mean, I for me Brit to think. I think Brit has to be the, Brit's got to be the next, uh, one yeah. back in line, I think at this point. Yeah, that's a very good point. So, I mean, it's, it's probably going to be Sheeta if it's a, ba- a heel, uh, a Brit Baker. Uh, the elite deletion match between Matt Hardy and Sammy Guevara. Uh, we're expecting this one to be a cinematic match. Um, what are you expecting from it? I I don't know what I'm expecting. I am I'm just hoping that I don't know. They're they're putting themselves in a weird position going back to this match. Uh, you know, so short so shortly after everything that happened um, uh, at, at all out there. Um, I mean, really, all I'm hoping for here is that they do not point towards or tease or play around, especially if it's a cinematic match, that they don't try to do some sort of kind of like worked injury sort of thing so shortly after that. Uh, obviously, uh, Matt's really scary uh, fall there before. Um, I, you know, it's not a match that I was especially hankering for, but, you know, you maybe sort of get the sense that it's one that, you know, one or both parties really feel as though they want to kind of do right and um, see through to completion in a way that they obviously weren't able to before. Uh, I, I think that, you know, I, being the younger person, being the person who is probably going to be uh, involved in some pretty serious inner circle stuff, I, I do think this favors Sammy Guevara. I think this will be the match that'll hopefully like wipe away some of the bitter taste coming off of their prior matches. Mm. Or, or a prior match and, and past inter- interactions. With this being a cinematic match, I think they can be a lot more safer with it and really kind of, um, I don't know, emphasize like some of the great things I think we enjoy about modern day Matt Hardy. And that's just, you know, character and just ridiculousness in, in, ter- in using those characters. I, I think it's, they've been holding off on the broken character up until now, perhaps for a certain reason. And I think we get the return of broken Matt Hardy in this, in this match. And as long as they do some like funny kind of like wink, wink callbacks to previous uh, Matt Hardy things, or even things involving Sammy Guevara, um, I guess they have to be really careful with that. Cause Sammy's recent history isn't all that pretty. Mm, um, oh geez. But, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, I, I, I look forward to this. I think it'll be a nice break in the middle of this, like nine match in ring <laughs> card quite frankly. So that's the other thing. Like, do you think these, 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 these pay-per-views are, are, are getting too long and how long do you think this one will go? Yeah, I mean, you're looking at this one on paper and you've got like th- at least three matches that you have to think are going minimum uh, of, of 20 minutes in, you know, mm-hmm. Paige Omega, Moxley Kingston and FTR Bucks, right? I do not see any of those going below 20 minutes and, you know, Jericho and MJF could get a lot of time as well. And I think it was kind of universally, thought that, you know, the the previous one did go too long and did suffer, um, you know, from a couple, I mean, I think this is a better card on paper, um, but, you know. There's yeah, a real do, danger that this will this yeah. will have the same effect. I mean, yep. uh, you're absolutely yep. right. A lot of these matches, I think, are, like, I think if we've seen, like, AEW give a lot of, like, um, 
you know, uh, free reign to, to its talent to like have the type of wrestling matches that they want. And sometimes that really comes to the detriment of the overall show. So I really hope that they learn from from their lesson, because even something like this elite deletion itself, it's it's going to be a segment that'll be at least like maybe, I don't know, seven minutes at least, you know, maybe maybe more. So some of these other matches, I hope they go short and I hope they learn their lessons. Uh, we have, okay, let's go to, uh, Hangman Page versus Kenny Omega for the, uh, AEW World Championship Eliminator, Eliminator Tournament, Tournament Finals. God, that's a mouthful. Uh, <laughs> what do you think about this one, uh, as far as a winner and a loser? I mean, I think it's gotta be Omega. I think we are absolutely, you know, pulling the V trigger on, you know, the, the massive, massive, uh, acceleration of, of Omega, uh, as a single star. I mean, again, as, as a big Omega fan, I've been perfectly happy with the, uh, you know, he, he's headlined a lot of pay-per-views. The tag run, I think has been really excellent, but I think once you have him, uh, as the champion, you really, really shake up the main event picture, uh, in AEW. Uh, and again, I think you know, like kind of, you know, a, a defeated page coming out of this, uh, is an interesting presence as well. And, and kind of, uh, in, in the broader BTE cosmos agreed with you kenny omega uh for this one uh cody versus darby allen for the AEW TNT championship do we get a title change i want to say no i mean just because it's moved around a lot lately i don't have a really strong feel on this one because it, it's it's such a late addition there um i could maybe see this being used as a jump off point to like kind of getting team taz involved and maybe we get some tag stuff out of that so maybe we get a bit of a screwy finish and it stays with cody this is a really interesting one. This one might be kind of tougher to predict amongst all the, all the matches on this one because uh, I think Cody, um, you know, it makes sense why he would hold the belt. Like he's going to be on that reality TV show all over TNT. Um, he's going to be sort of a, a lead player that, and he's just such a great guy to hold that title because you can have so many different types of opponents, babyface or heel, go up against him. Darby Allen, on the other hand, is a lot more difficult because the guy isn't really promo, or as at least isn't really known for his promos. Might not be as versatile of a wrestler to go up against uh, several different types of wrestlers, but at the, sa- at the same time, like how many times can you know? He's another one who like how many times can you job him out to somebody like Cody or at least like you know, uh, not come up short when it, when it comes to like, you know, these big matches. Um, nonetheless, like, I think they've, they've been known to like tell these kind of long form stories with guys like a Darby Allen or a jungle boy. And therefore I think Cody will probably retain FTR taking on the young bucks. This is for the AEW world tag team championships. And if the bucks lose, they will never challenge for the world tag team championships again. Uh, I'm going FTR on this one. I think the um, the stipulation is an interesting one, and I think the f- I mean you could sort of say, oh well, you know, the first time was with Cody was to prove that they're serious, and now that's to put the seed of doubt uh, in our heads. Um, but I think that if they wanted in the first place to kind of go with this sort of more tormented or darker version of the Bucks, them feeling bitter about you know kind of the 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 company and the division, obviously that that, that was so important to them. Uh, kind of passing them by and, you know, kind of slipping out of their fingers uh, forever in this company where the point is that, you know, tag team wrestling can be the main event. Um, I think that's an interesting storytelling device. Um, You know, FTR's run hasn't been exactly lights out until this point, but I think there is potential there. You know, last week I definitely, like, I think I I said that I, I feel like the Bucks wouldn't announce a stipulation like this for no reason. And therefore, I thought that they were actually going to lose so that they can 
tell whatever story they want to tell without ever having to challenge the World Tag Team Championship again. But now I think about it, there's no way. There's no way through like because I know that they stick to to these uh, stipulations. Um, it's one thing for Cody to never challenge for the World Championship again because if you're gonna you know create the TNT Championship, that kind of he can still fall back on that. There's really nothing that the Bucks can do if they don't challenge for for the World Championship, and it, they're too big of a name that for 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 you to be able to headline with to not be able to put them in this position. So I think it's a form of misdirection because maybe they respect the audience knows that they might stick to the stipulation mm-hmm. um, that I think that they'll probably just win. And that's my prediction right now. Finally, we have John Moxley versus Eddie Kingston and I quit match for the AEW world championship. Uh, what do you expect from this match? I guess in terms of qual like style perhaps, and also outcome. I mean, I expect that we're going to get a lot. I mean, it's going to be just, you know, brawl heavy. That's, you know, that's, that's, you know, kind of that a combination of brawling and some, you know, kind of close up uh, submission stuff has what been what we've been seeing from Kingston uh, thus far. And obviously that's something, you know, so that's something that Moxley is obviously interested in uh, as we can see in Bloodsport and everything like that. So I think it's that sort of style uh, that, that you're going to get there. I don't know to the degree to which we're going to get a bunch of like, you know, crazy, CZW deathmatch type stuff or anything like that. Um, but, you know, I, I, I want blood, sweat, and tears in this one. I think it's a fait accompli, of course, that Moxley is, is retaining here. Um, but as long as this one hits those really, really intense, um, you know, personal beats and moments uh, that, you know, that their, their interaction on this episode did, uh, it's going to be a home run. You know, we might look at this period of October and November as like maybe a peak in the I quit match type. We just, we just had one in Jey Uso and uh, uh, Roman Reigns that I think, you know, to most people, depending on, on your taste, most, I think, really enjoyed the storytelling aspects of it. I feel like this will be that um, with two, of course, incredibly capable, like, in-ring storytellers, but also with the addition of, I would say, maybe more in-ring action, maybe more varied in-ring action, as you alluded to, with, like, you know, more of a Moxley kind of shoot style, Kingston, maybe more of a brawling hardcore style. Uh, Blood is definitely a given for a match (laughs) like this, and as a result, I think it'll probably close the show. Um, And, you know, like you said, like, the storytelling aspects, the getting deep into like the history and like now bringing up like, you know, promising to the man's mother. That oh, he, yeah. was, he has to do this. Like Eddie Kingston has to do this for his mom. And conversely, John Moxley promised to promised also to Eddie Kingston's mother that he would protect him and protecting Eddie Kingston means beating him out of this like fuzz mental, mental haze that he's in. So uh, it's all for Ruthie this match, and uh, <laughs> I'm really excited for it. It's it's my most anticipated match of the show. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Uh, but yeah, end result. What do you think? Uh, oh yeah, yeah it's it's got it's got to be Moxley here, uh, and you know Kenny or, or excuse me Eddie, you know appears, you know is probably going to be in tears. I think you know after having to to say I quit, but then it's possible that we might jump right into that sort of you know that 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 pack uh, possibility there, or something else to do with the Lucha Bros, uh, right out of that. So even if this is it in terms of uh, Kingston being involved, like right up at the top of the card. Uh, I do think that there are so many cool new storytelling opportunities that you can do once so much of this guy's personality, uh, intensity, and skill on the mic has been shown to so many people. Uh, you, you know, he's not going to just fade fade into the background after this. 
Yeah, one is seeing whether or not he'll turn babyface afterwards. I, I think is also another really like interesting possibility because I mean, with the with the type of like he's just he's just so good. Like if you had more audience there, no doubt he'd be somebody who'd be really cheered. So you can neither go you can go either way with him. But yep. I really enjoyed his addition. Okay, we're running a bit a little bit long here, so let's take a little bit of feedback from the post wrestling forum here. First of all, what did you guys think of this edition of AEW Dynamite? Out of 10, you guys thought this show was an 8.29. So very good rating for this edition of Dynamite. And uh, if you want to join me, uh, uh, Bruce, here, uh, I just have the thread pulled up. And I start here with Andrew Bates, who says, I liked a lot of the promos here, including the build for Hangman and Kenny and Mox and Kingston. But it's still frustrating to me the way women's wrestling is pigeonholed in the show to a single match, always in the same part of the program. Like they're ticking a box on the format sheet and then moving on to what they're actually interested in. They had to do a whole cycle of work in one segment to build Tashida and Rose because they rarely featured the challenger and they couldn't spare a single video to explain who Allison K is. It's AEW's biggest weakness and it's hard to understand how they can fix it when they can only offer a sliver of time per show. Andrew from St. John. Um, it's part, you know, I do like in this case wonder uh what they were up against when, you know, putting together something like Sheeta versus Rose, like as you had alluded to, I don't know if that would have been their first choice, if Abaddon might have had a bigger role. Um, I, you know, but even then that might not be so much of an excuse. Cause like we could just look at Hikaru Shida herself and how little they've done with her as a, as a, as a, as a character. Um, so I think those criticisms are still very valid, you know, in the, in, in Allison Kay's case, I, that's something I don't know if they would have had the foresight to, you know, cause she only announced her free agency like a couple days ago. Like, I don't know how early they might've booked that one to be able to like, gather footage but then again i mean they have billy corgan on speed dial and they could probably whip something together pretty quickly too hopefully on the countdown special that's something we can see there yeah yeah uh, uh, do you want to take the next sure, one? Sure, sure, yeah. Uh, moving on, we have Crooked Letter 9, uh, who says, Easily the best part of the go-home dynamite was the literally face-to-face promo between John Moxley and Eddie Kingston. The emotion melted off the screen as it felt like two friends who'd had an awful falling out. It's by far the most must-see match on this Saturday's PPV. Social distancing be damned. Uh, the last push to full gear capped off uh, with the main event with Cody challenging Darby Allen to have his shot at his TNT title. Uh, the sit-down promos with Omega and Hanman Hangman were also standouts, and a brief moment of unity against FDR could be a sign of, of things to come. Solid stuff all around, with the exception as to how it's handling women's wrestling. So, yeah, uh, a common sentiment here. All right, we got a new one from Vaughn who says, This show tonight was a pretty standard go-home show from AEW. Everything was done in order to get you ready to purchase the pay-per-view on Saturday. Probably one of the weaker editions of Dynamite in terms of match quality, but the promos were unbelievable. Seeing the pack video was great. The Kenny Hangman sit-down interviews were great. And the Taz promo was excellent. And that segment with Mox and Eddie was just fantastic. I know it's a long shot, but I would just be so happy if Kingston won the title on Saturday. A bit of a bit of a reach there, like I said, a bit of a long shot, but I mean, it's possible. You know, I mean, it's, anything's they could do anything, but yeah. And you know, if if you're paying happen. money in that hope, then you know the show has done its job, definitely. Um, Raymond in Sacramento, that sure felt like the best go home show of the Dynamite pandemic era. I fully expected to be distracted by the ongoing undecided presidential election, but my attention was able to remain focused on Dynamite. The show built the matches coming up for full gear on Saturday and added the last bit of tension before it all kicks off in a few days. That Kingston Moxley confrontation was remarkable and gets added to the list of top tier moments Dynamite has brought us in 2020. I'm so ready for the PPV on Saturday and the enjoyment it's expected to bring to wrestling fans. So yeah, uh, 
uh, again, a lot of people really, really stoked uh, about the Kingston and Moxley there. Uh, and again, like like I think we were sort of saying, just th- th- what was already a very, very hot and intense feud just got ramped up a little bit tonight. See, the other big question that uh, Raymond alluded to here was uh, the, the rating for this show. Um, certainly, I don't know if AEW would have expected going up against... I mean, they probably would have expected going up against, you know, post-election coverage, but tonight was election coverage like we were we're still as of now at least you know deep in the the middle of this race so um i i i wonder how that'll really affect both nxt and AEW's ratings uh this week i i i and if so i can't really imagine that you can look too much into it it's like um they were up against you know the biggest story in the world so we shall see tomorrow Finally, we end with Anthony, who says, 17 years ago, Saliva's hit song, Always, was the theme for Survivor Series 2002. <laughs> Tonight, Saliva returned to AEW Dynamite to perform their new single, Constant, because between Isaiah Cassidy spitting a kiss toward the camera and the Moxley Kingston face-to-face, <laughs> I thought the amount of fluids going on was cringeworthy. Still a good go-home show for full gear. And that wraps it up. Uh, an extended edition of uh, Rwanda Dynamite, but there's a lot to talk to uh, Chris Bruce Lord about. And uh, thank you so much. I thought uh, a very insightful, uh, good chat. So um, and and always a a, a a a pleasure to be able to have John Pollock take some uh, uh, much needed time off, as I think difficult as as it might be um, for for the man uh, who's so busy sometimes. So um, where can people find you and hear more of you? Um, I don't really have much in the way of a wrestling presence, uh, apart from, you know, just my grapple account, which is just Contrasoma, the same name that I use, uh, on the post forum there. Um, the one thing I would like to mention is that my friend Alex Kennedy and I, uh, Alex is also a big, uh, wrestling fan and, uh, you know, fan of post. Um, we've been running a music website and podcast for nearly 10 years, uh, which discusses what we like to call darker alternatives. Uh, and by that, we're mostly talking about industrial music, goth music, dark wave, uh, post-punk, and so on. Uh, you know, kind of similar genres, I would think, to uh, to what fellow postmark Brett Chittenden spins on his mm. radio show. Uh, so, you know, uh, if you happen to like wrestling and you're into that sort of thing, if you like, uh, you know, classic acts like Skinny Puppy, The Sisters of Mercy, or Front 242... There's the callback to the the number off the top there. Yeah. Uh, Or, you know, uh, if you're interested in learning about exciting new bands uh, who are working in these styles, uh, bands like Youth Code, Drab Majesty, or Three Teeth, uh, you can find our website at idieudie.com, or you can look for our weekly We Have a Technical podcast on all of the usual podcast outlets. If you're looking for a jumping on point, we specifically made uh, episode 201 uh, to be a kind of a, a, an entryway or an on-ramp uh, for new listeners. So yeah, that's that's where I am. Sorry, again, I die, you die. I die, you die dot com, and the podcast is called We Have a Technical, both uh, references to Gary Newman uh, songs, actually. And uh, on Twitter, you can be found at, at ContraSoma, uh, where I believe you link to at least some of the things that you mentioned. So uh, we'll we'll try to link to as much as we can in the show description as well. But thank you so much, Bruce, for joining us. Uh, definitely hoping to have you on again, uh, I imagine, sometime in the near future, in fact. So uh, we'll probably be hearing from you again. And uh, thank you all for listening. I'll be back on Friday with John, and uh, it'll be a whole new world, I imagine. So uh, take care. Goodbye. 
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.